Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And also joining us, if we're talking sports, is senior sports editor of the ODPH. He is your coach. He is my coach. He is the coach. And boy, does he have some hot takes for the NBA. Get your popcorn. Coach Duffy. Yeah, let's go. Oh, <laughs> let's uh, let's get it popping. Let's go. Oh, we're gonna do it first, but we obviously have to do a little recap action first. And if you want to join in the conversation, and I hope you do, folks, because we appreciate you tuning in. But we definitely want to keep that conversation going after this episode airs. Join in the conversation on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. You can join in on Facebook, join in on Twitter, join in on Instagram, join in on Podchaser, join in on Apple Podcasts, and drop that five star review. And also wherever you are listening to this podcast from, because hey, we like to interact with you. So always remember use the hashtag ODPH. We have a lot lined up for the NBA segment, but first we have to recap this past week's NFL action and break down our locks and leaps. So, Pad, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, so we're going to start with my lock. I chose the uh, Baltimore Ravens to defeat the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, line was 13 points, and Lord have mercy did they ever cover. Uh, winning by the final score of 27-3. to uh, Lamar Jackson, 19 of 37 for 180 yards passing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, two touchdowns, one interception. On the flip side, you had Joe Burrow with 19 of 30 uh, for 183 yards passing. Zero touchdowns, one interception. Coach, your thoughts? I mean, what else can you say about this Ravens team other than they just take it to teams that aren't very good? Mm-hmm. Show me against a team with a winning record what you can do. I think that's where we are with this Ravens team at yeah. this point. You know, yeah. I mean, it's it's come to the point where all right, you know, we know that you're going to go in, you're going to beat, you know, a, a lonely Bengals team that's you know one three and one or one two and one at the time, you know, and you're going to beat them probably pretty good. Show me what you can do against the Kansas Cities, the New Englands, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the Tennessee Titans, you know, the upper, the Buffalo Bills, you know, the upper echelon of the AFC, and then call me again. So this game pushed nothing for me. Yeah, no, I mean, same for me. It was low hanging fruit. I had to jump on it because, okay, yeah, Burroughs, 183 yards passing. That's good. But they had absolutely nothing going on in the running game. Joe Mixon was their leading rusher, 24 carries for 59 yards, no touchdowns. You know, and then their receiving core, which was okay, you know, spread around. You know, T. Higgins was their leading receiver, four catches for 62 yards, no touchdowns. Tyler Boyd was number two, four catches for 42 yards. So he's getting the ball around, but it's not anything stellar. And in regards to Baltimore, like, okay, yeah, this is a team that you should be. And honestly, the score probably should have been a lot higher. Cincinnati is not very good, you know, but you look at the the Ravens schedule. Okay, they're f- the four teams they've beaten are Cleveland, Houston, Washington, and Cincinnati. Cleveland, when they were playing them, was just awful. Mm-hmm. Different story nowadays. Houston, not any better. You know, then they lost to Kansas City in week three. And then you played Washington, who you don't know what the hell you're going to get out of them most weeks. And then, like we just mentioned, they beat Cincinnati, who's awful. Baltimore did what they were expected to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think everybody thought that they would definitely win. The only thing that gets real crazy when you're predicting games like this is when it's division rivals, Uh you never know what you're going to get. It's like case in point, Kansas City and uh, the Raiders. Exactly. I was going to break that down a little later in the segment, but Pat, you're spot on with that. 
you never know what you're going to get because every team steps up for the rivalry games. And let's face it, Cincinnati has a rivalry with Baltimore. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not as big as the one with Pittsburgh and Baltimore, no, no. but it's still a rivalry nevertheless. So Lamar Jackson and company did what they were expected to do. And for Joe Burrow, this is a growing pain that he's going to have mm-hmm. to get used to because the mm-hmm. Ravens are the tied, I guess, with the Steelers for being the upper echelon of that division. So it depends on what portion of the country you're talking to, yeah. Yeah, so obviously they know that they're going to have to go through the Ravens. This is the first time that Burrow had to face him. Did he do a great performance? No, he did the best with the talent he has around him, so I think you yeah. kind of have to look at it at that perspective. Even though I did find it telling that there was rumors that A.J. Green was saying, trade me out of here. I yeah. mean, he looked checked out yeah. in this yeah. game anyway. I mean, yeah. there's one inter- there's one highlight of you know an interception that A.J. Green, I mean, seemingly looks like he has the opportunity to make the tackle yeah. and literally lets the Ravens player run it. You know, by him and, and ran next to him. Well, and, the, and this is your number one receiver, your your downfield threat, and just and again, just reading the box score, no catches, no yards, no touchdowns, one target. And I mean, I can't blame him for probably feeling that way. I mean, he's post thirty. You yeah. know, he's he's his, on the downward yeah, spot. You know, the downward. Him. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's on the downward tra- uh, trajectory of his career. So it's like, you know, uh, a team, uh, you know, like a New England Patriots or. Um, you know, maybe even a, a Tennessee Titan, you mm-hmm. know, uh, could mm-hmm. use a guy, mm-hmm. you know, of his skill set, you know, and, and like uh, a Randy Moss, yeah, you know, maybe going to a new system with a team with a winning record, you know, right now, not necessarily that I, I don't know AJ Green as being a, you know, a bad locker room guy, right? You know, I mean, that's not the, what's coming out like, you know, a la Randy Moss when he was in, in Oakland, oh, I got where one, people were like, oh, I got one player in mind that fits that bill. Yeah, yeah, well, right. And, I mean, I'm just saying, like, he doesn't seem like he's that way right now. You no, know, like, no. So you, maybe a new scenery all of a sudden, you know, sparks the AJ Green of old. Now, I mean, yeah, he's had some injuries. Yeah. But I, I still feel like there's tread left in the tires. No, there's absolutely tread still left in the tires. And I, and I kind of feel bad for him because this is one of those guys that, and you see this in other sports where, you know, haven't had a lot. Uh, Matthew Stafford's one that comes to mind. Mm. Matthew Stafford could have ch- gone a long time ago. Nobody would have faulted him, but he stuck through to be loyal to the team in the city. Yeah. Same can be said for A.J. Green. A.J. Green could have left after last season and nobody would have faulted him. Like, all right, hey, listen, we're going in a new direction. You gave us some of your best years, but it's time to move on and, and you need to go someplace else. He stuck through it, though. He's given this team another shot, another run, and they're not giving him anything for it. He's given the city all that they can handle with just his effort and attitude on the field. He's always been that guy that's been a consistent for Cincinnati when he's healthy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Cincinnati is in a rebuilding phase. I think anybody that thinks otherwise, check your eyes. This is a moment where Cincinnati should really consider about moving green. Yeah. And they could definitely get some assets back for him. Yeah, and his his stats for this year are just terrible for him. Uh, He's got 14 catches for the year, which is tied for 94th in the league. Mm -hmm. 119 yards catching, which is tied for 126th. He's got no touchdowns, which is tied for 116th, and he's averaging 8.5 yards per catch, which is 122nd. I mean, the trade market, which was set last year, you know, or two years ago in the, you know, Cooper deal and um, uh, Odell deal is a first-round pick. So, I mean, now I don't necessarily know if, you know, those numbers are going to show, you know, a value of a first-round pick, but, you know, you might get a team who's desperate, you know, that knows that they're, you know, a wide receiver away from really having an offensive threat, might be willing yeah. to shell out yeah. that first-round pick. Or if not, you know, maybe a second and a fourth combo or second and a fifth, which, yeah. which you know, obviously in the NFL draft, fifth-round picks can be franchise-changing, you know, players. So, oh, yeah. 
to me, yeah, at this point, I, I don't see the, the value in holding on to them when no. you're not getting anything out of them. And no. at the same time, you know, when you have an asset in a rebuilding situation, you know, you got to move that asset because you're not going to get anything out of it just holding on to it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and I think a, a second and a fourth for him would be a perfect deal yeah. at this yeah. stage. Yeah. He's not the elite receiver that he is, but he's still a number one. And I yeah. think that we really have to remember that, too. So for a team like a New England mm-hmm. that could desperately use one, or I could even see as a complete dark horse out of all this, Seattle, yeah. where you pair him off against, with Metcalf. Yeah, but, I mean, they've got um, – what's his face there, too? Who's the smaller wide receiver over the middle there? Lockett. Lockett. You know, so you've got a one and two in, in Greg Olson, and they've got – they're working in the tight ends, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't necessarily think that they'd reach with a uh, offering up a pick. Uh, at this stage, I mean, maybe if it, if you know Cincinnati becomes dumb desperate and like sure. you know offer whatever and we'll we'll package them and send them. I mean, yeah. if not, then I I would hold out for a second. But um, yeah, I, I think that uh, change of scenery, you might see a Randy Moss resurgence and and a real a dominant wide receiver as as he once was. It'd be a smart move to do for Cincinnati. Obviously, get as much assets as you can and, re- Ooh, and keep the Philly. rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Philly could be another. I mean, place Philly's to... got injuries, so it's not like they don't have depth. It's just everybody's hurt all at the same time. Well, everybody's hurt there, but would he want to go back to more or less a rebuilding stage too? Because let's face it, <laughs> they they can win the NFC East. They could what do you win. mean? What do you, they're a playoff team right now? They're they're one and four, and they're winning the division. I mean, yeah, but for for longevity reasons, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how long. Well, I last. think he's only got one year left on this deal anyway, so it's a rental situation, regardless of whoever picks him up. It could be unless a, you you know extend them but right which i don't think cincinnati is going to do and i don't blame them if they don't i think that right now is the time to move them and like i said new england i think would be a, a perfect landing spot for i him. got somebody else in mind for new england oh i'm going to uh, talk about it at the end of the segment a little tease fair enough i would like to see him go to green bay too with aaron Rodgers. oh that'd be scary that's but, an idea but would green bay want to do that because obviously they avoided wide receivers like the plague in the draft so <laughs> going to get a 30 year old uh wide receiver who knows? But right. it's going to be the storyline for Cincinnati moving forward. As yeah. as coach touched upon for Baltimore, you beat the easy teams. You, you beat the cupcake. Yeah, you beat the cupcakes, and you've hung with Kansas City for mm-hmm. for a little bit there, but <laughs> yeah, for fourteen minutes of right the game. So it's just kind of the benchmark of what we're going to get out of the Ravens. But the Ravens are a classic organization. Mm-hmm. So whatever they saw at Kansas City, they made improvements for, and should they run into them later down the road, yeah. I think they'll make adjustments for them. So I think the Ravens did what they needed to do, and they got a solid win out of it. Mm-hmm. That being said, we're going to flip it over to another team in the AFC North. Yeah, that was uh, my leap, and also it was Ken's leap. Uh, we both chose uh, the Cleveland Browns to be- defeat the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, as we were recording, the Colts were one-and-a-half-point favorites, uh, but the Browns were able to pull out a win and by the sc- final score of 32-23. Baker Mayfield had 21 of 37 for 247 yards passing, two touchdowns, two interceptions. On the flip side, Phillip Rivers, 21 of 33 for 240 three yards passing zero touchdowns two interceptions coach are the browns for real i was just gonna say is it safe to say that this is the browns team that we thought we were going to get last year i don't know man i'm gonna say i i'm still on the fence about it yeah i mean this is a very good performance against a team that really had uh in for the colts that started to separate themselves as far as being a you know a, a division winning favorite mm-hmm. you know not not you know uh, not even to go without saying that they were definitely going to make 
uh, you know, a wild card. So now you, you go in and you have a home game here against them and you go out and you put this performance on. Now, I mean, was Baker Mayfield flawless? No. And I mean, yeah. obviously he did have, you know, the injury in the later half of the game. But still, you know, I mean, a dominant performance offensively to be able yeah. to put 32 points on this very good Colt defense that mm-hmm. I don't think let up anything more than 20 uh, prior going into this game. I mean, maybe 21 at most. So but Yeah, I mean, but that's a very good offensive performance. And, you know, even defensively, I mean, yeah, the Colts offensively aren't necessarily a, a dominant threat right now. They've got some injuries. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, you know, as far as the running back uh, position starting to emerge, you know, his rookie season, which I thought he would, and we talked about him last week. And, mm-hmm. you know, T.Y. Hilton's a staple, so he's there yeah. too. And obviously they have the greatest guard in all of NFL history in Quentin Nelson. <laughs> so, I mean, you know that the left side is going to be, you know, uh, well protected. But still, though, I, this Cleveland team, I don't know. I, I just don't understand. I mean, they have a step. They have figured out an identity that last year's team just didn't have, yeah. which was run the ball, run the ball, play action, run the ball, run the ball, play action. Mm-hmm. And as long as they stick to that formula. Now, the problem will be is when they get down, which they were down in this game, but not by much. If they get down two, you know, maybe three, you know, two possessions, three possessions, you know, is that going to force them then to pass the ball? And is that going to be the kryptonite like it was with the Tennessee Titans? Yeah. Maybe, but we got to see. Yeah. Uh, in regards to is this the, the Cleveland team we expected last year, uh, pin that on the old refrigerator and hold that to next week because I feel like after next week we'll know because this coming Sunday they travel to Pittsburgh and play the Steelers mm. who are going to punch them in the mouth. Not just because they're a divisional team. It's Pittsburgh. They punch people in the mouth every week. Right. So we'll see. If I, for me, we'll come back to me after next week, and we'll see if it's the Cleveland team we expected. That, that to me, is going to be the litmus test because week one they lost against Baltimore. Okay, to be expected. Right. And then they beat Cincinnati and Washington, both very not good teams. And then you got Dallas, who maybe that was a fluke. Maybe that was a, a sign of something. And then they just beat Indianapolis. So the test is next week. Uh, in regards to Coach, your Indianapolis question, uh, they gave up 27 points in week their week one loss to Jacksonville. After that, the most points they gave up in their three get wins prior was 11 points. There you so, go. so, yeah, this is the most. I mean, this this was a good win for Cleveland. It's it's a confidence-building win for them. Yeah, Baker, like Coach said, Baker Mayfield wasn't perfect, but he's still a pretty damn good. 247 yards passing, two touchdowns. Yeah, he had the two interceptions, but that's going to happen. Hey, shout-out Odell Beckham Jr. One pass, one completion uh, for 18 yards. So that was definitely a surprise for a lot of fantasy owners. Uh, but they look good. Jarvis Landry, 88, four catches, 88 yards. You know, but... You know, this this the thing for India. I think this is just continued growing pains where it, were it in a normal preseason where you had the full workouts and the full, you know, preseason games and everything like that. I don't think you would see some of the issues you're seeing with Indianapolis because to me it, it appears that the kinks are there. That mm. it's a new quarterback, it's a new system, it's new receivers, it's new guards. He's learning their mannerisms and their tendencies and what they like to do. They're learning the same for him. This isn't the same uh, offense in the same setup that he had in San Diego for 2,500 years or, you know, however long he was there. So it, it's growing pains. Does it suck for Colts fans? Yeah, because obviously Colts fans have a very high expectation of that team. Look at what Peyton Manning gave him for so many years. Right. Look at what Andrew Luck gave him for so many years. And, and you look at the caliber and, and stature of Phillip River and you go, hey, this ain't a drop down. This is just, a, you know, another level step or even a step up. So I think it'll get better for Indianapolis. But right now, it's in from maybe the next couple of weeks, it's going to be ugly. I think there's two takeaways from this game. One, Baker is looking like the Baker of old when he said I was feeling dangerous at those press conferences. 
He's getting his swagger back. Mm -hmm. And obviously this is a great win for Cleveland, who definitely hung in there. Without Nick Chubb in the lineup, they didn't seem like they missed too much of a step. Kareem Hunt with 72 yards, Dernis Johnson at 32. So this team has now developed an identity, which I think has been missing for a while. Mm -hmm. And since they're running the ball, they're playing at a very efficient level, which is it's smart. And this is the Cleveland team that I think we've been waiting to see. Yeah. But I do agree with both of you that I think that next week against Pittsburgh is going to be the litmus test that we get to say, who is Cleveland? So what is Cleveland? Yeah. No, isn't that the Cleveland that former rocks. Atlanta Cleveland team? Rocks. No, Cleveland. no, yeah. Rocks. Lost. Oh. yeah, that's where we're going to figure out what we have here. So I mean, that's where the puzzle falls. For Indianapolis, though, I think that they do have some work to do, and I think being in a weaker division, because let's face it, if you're not Tennessee, yeah, that rest of the division, you don't have Hot to worry about garbage. anything. And I think that with Philip Rivers at the helm. They'll get it around, but they are definitely showing that they're not on the same page. This was a game that was completely winnable, and they let Cleveland off the hook. Mm-hmm. So they need to do some work. But for Cleveland, the biggest it's the big takeaway that we lose Nick Chubb. We still don't have a timetable about his return. Yeah, and they didn't miss a step. Like that. Yep. That's yep. the big takeaway, and that's scary when you actually have some depth and you can lose a star running back like they did. And keep the ball rolling. And mm-hmm. they're going to need to do that if they're going to hang with Pittsburgh. I mean, they have two teams they need to benchmark themselves against, Baltimore and Pittsburgh. We know what they were up against Baltimore, and who knows to say that now with this new swagger, would it be the same outcome? Debatable. Maybe. But Pittsburgh is going to be the true litmus test, so we need to focus on that for next week, and who knows what we're going to get out of that. Coach, we're going to switch it now to you with your locks and leaps. So which one do you want to start with? I guess I'll start with my disappointing uh, lock, which was Tampa Bay going to Chicago on a Thursday night. Um, they were favored by three, and I was wrong. And Tom Brady is, you know. Tom Brady's old. Uh, obviously forgetful. Tom, Tom Brady got spanked needs, by his daddy. Needs to play some memory games. You know, he needs to get the memory cards out and needs to start remembering things because that's a shameful. Go ahead, Pat. Yeah, so the Chicago Bears won by the final score of 20-19. to 19. Uh, Nick Foles, 30 of 42 for 243 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. Tom Brady, 25 of 41 for 254 yards passing, one touchdown, zero interceptions. So, I mean, I'm kicking myself in the, in the ass for even picking this game. I should have been smarter. Uh, you never pick the away team on a Thursday night game for a, something that you're trying to tell people that is a good bet. That was just dumb. I was dumb, and I'm sorry if you actually listen to me. Don't listen to me because my numbers aren't good this year. That was just a bad pick. And not to mention, I mean, uh, you know, the overall of this game, yeah, you know, Tampa uh, Tampa Bay, shaky offensively. Chicago looked good defensively. Khalil Mack was all over the place, just dominating every asset of the, uh, facet of this game as far as pass rushing and stopping the run. Um but let's, I mean, going into that fourth quarter play, you know, and the controversy that arose, if you haven't watched it, Tom Brady, you know, thought that the uh, fourth down play that he had was actually third down and that they had an extra down and, you know, pointed famously to the sideline saying, oh, fourth down. No, Tom, it wasn't. You turned the ball over on downs and lost the game. Um, but that's not even, I mean, I want to go back to the actual fourth down play itself in that pass because. Okay. That wasn't even a good pass. No. Like, even if that was third down, you know, and that's what you're thinking, he wasn't open. Like, I literally, I watched that play and and my jaw dropped thinking, you thought that on third down that that was a good play? 
to make. You weren't getting pressured. There was a clean pocket. You had time to step up and wait for you know a receiver to get open, and you forced the ball into double coverage to a guy who wasn't open at all. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't want to say that Tom Brady's washed yet, but this this in Tampa Bay it is starting to look like maybe he made the bad decision. I'm I'm thinking so because I think it's it's showing that the personnel and the staff that he had up in New England, both on the field and off the field, hit a lot of issues, especially in those last few years where the ball wasn't as you know quick as it used to be. The reaction time wasn't as quick as it used to be, but sure. he had the people around him, again, both on the field and off the field, to kind of cover that. And I think it's showing partially because he doesn't, you know, the folks on and off the field aren't necessarily of the same caliber, whichever way you look at it, as on New England or Tampa Bay. But I think it's also a combination of that, and time is catching up with him. Well, I mean, and to that point, I mean, the the offensive threats that he has this year in Tampa Bay are greater than what oh, he yeah. had his last year in New oh, England. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, what he doesn't have and what he's clearly missing is a Julian Edelman-type player mm-hmm. because Bruce Arians' offense, and this is what Bruce Arians' offense has always been, was throw the ball deep. Mm-hmm. Air the ball, air the goddamn ball out. You know, throw it twenty, 30, you know, thirty yards in the air to an open wide receiver running a streak. Uh, I mean, that's what Jameis Winston thrived on last year. Yeah, obviously, you know, they lived and died by some turnovers that he had. Sure, but Bruce Arians' offense was that. That I mean, that's sure. what it was. Like he he ate those turnovers and was like, all right, you were making a play downfield. It is what it is. Tom can't make those throws, and no. it's very obvious no. that he can't. No, the, 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 and it's, that's the other thing, too. Like you mentioned, the range isn't there anymore. And that you know, his receivers, Mike Evans and uh, the other guy, I've got him on my fantasy. Oh, Godwin. 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 They're deep threat guys. Yeah. You know, the only – you look at the numbers, you know, the only other kind of short guy he's got is Gronkowski, and Gronkowski ain't got shit for stats this year. He's got 12 catches all year for 140 yards and no touchdowns. Well, that's not even. I mean, you Cameron Bray and OJ Howard are two arguably the best tight ends in the NFL. Yeah. So you know you you have players that can go underneath, but yeah. the thing is, is and what made Edelman so good was the efficiency in the route running to get in spots where Brady mm-hmm. could find him, and that's what he doesn't have this year. I mean, does I mean could Chris Godwin be that guy? In theory, yes, because yeah. he's a smaller slot wide receiver sure. who should be running you know some of those intermediate routes. But at the same time, he's also got one of the fastest players in the NFL. Uh-huh. So you got to run him deep, but you can't run him deep if you can't get a quarterback. I mean, that's what happened in those late years with Eli and the Giants. Odell Beckham, I mean, they were running slants almost every play, and Odell was like, they know what's coming because I'm running the same route every time. Yeah. Well, part of it was Eli didn't have the arm strength to throw it deep multiple times a game. Yeah. So that's what's going on here. You know, they're, yeah. they're sitting on routes. They're jumping these routes. I mean, he has he's leading the NFL in pick sixes right now with six. Yeah. Yeah. He threw yeah. six all of last year. Yeah. So – that goes to show you that the, the like you said, a the timing's not there and the speeds on the ball not isn't there because uh, cornerbacks and safeties are able to jump these routes. Mm-hmm. So I I mean listen, I understand why you know this decision was made to go to Tampa Bay because obviously he didn't feel like a he was appreciated enough in New England and saw the value in the assets that. Uh, Tampa Bay had as far as the wide receiver threats, you know, Gronk probably coming over to was a part of it and, and whatever, you know, I get it. But at the same time, it's like maybe grass isn't always greener on the other side, Uh, Mr. Brady. That's what I was thinking. 
He is playing like a 43-year-old man. Mm-hmm. So uh, him I, and another 43-year-old are playing like 43-year-old men. Yeah, and you're getting what you expect. I think everybody was expecting Tom Brady to be the Tom Brady of old. I think they were expecting a repeat of the 2007 season. Yeah, but he is looking a lot like Peyton Manning's last year in Denver. Mm-hmm. Daniel, I mean, I, I didn't uh-huh. necessarily think that it was going to be that 07 team because that 07 team was wild. Yeah. But what I was at least expecting – was better than this. Yeah. yeah, he is looking sloppy. Yeah. And it, this is not the Tom Brady you want to remember. This is Michael Jordan going to the Wizards. This yeah. is just a shell of his former play, and I'm going to be the first one to say it. Yeah, no, it is. As a Patriots fan who watched him for many, many years, this is a shell of his former self. This is this is like driving a Lamborghini or a McLaren or a real fancy supercar. And, you, oh, boy, I can't wait to open up the, the horsepower on this sucker. But then all you have are country country roads with twists and turns. And you can't open it up. Yeah. yeah, he's just going through the motions right now. It definitely shows this is not the Tom Brady that's always prepared. You're seeing him a lot more animated on the sidelines. And I don't know if it's just frustration with himself, but like I said, I'm going to be the first one to say it. He's done. Yeah, I, I will yeah, come no, out right now and say he is. it's a wrap. He'll be done after this season. If they hang on to him next year, it's going to be even worse. He is just showing mistakes that are not his level of play. Mm-mm, no. If this was another quarterback, I'd say you'd be able to get a pass. But Yeah, and, and especially given the circumstances with the pandemic and no preseason and no this or no that. I know that's one of the reasons we gave Phillip Rivers kind of a pass. Like, mm-hmm. all right, hey, listen, you're, sure. having, you're having some issues, but X, Y, and Z. This is Tom fucking Brady. Yeah. He has been studying game film while most people are asleep. While most people are in line at McDonald's getting breakfast and waiting for their cup of coffee, he's already watched about four hours of game film. You know, he wakes up earlier than the Rock and Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. You know, it's it's just he's got that level of, of confidence and preparation that are second to none. You know, and and to see this, it's just sad. It, it is. I mean, sad. I don't necessarily know if it's sad because, I mean, it wasn't a good performance in New England. No. It's definitely, I mean, if I'm a Tampa Bay fan, I'm frustrated by it because you're, oh, yeah. you're coming in oh, and you're yeah. like, um, I'm going to be getting, you know, arguably one of the best quarterbacks of all time to come over and take this offense over with, you know, the names that we just named. Yeah. I mean, we just named five perennial Pro Bowl players, not to mention what they have in the backfield for running backs. Yeah. So you're sitting here and you're thinking um, – and and you're thinking, all right, this is going to be uh, you know one quarterback away from having a legitimate shot at making it to the Super Bowl, and you know Tom Brady comes in. Now, I think part of it though is is that Bruce Arians should have you know obviously evaluated the situation and said, mm-hmm. all right, I might need to adapt a little bit to what I have for a quarterback. Yeah, because. I can't run the routes that I want to have my receivers run because I don't have a quarterback who can throw it 40, 60 no. yards in the air like Jameis Winston could. No. So with that being said, I need to, okay, what are my skill sets that I still have and what do I need to do to put them in position to be successful? And that's what good coaches do. And obviously we've seen from what Bruce Arians has already said from you know throwing Tom under the bus after the the, the game against mm-hmm. New Orleans oh, yeah. to you know the uh, uh, some of the comments that he made uh, the uh, couple games before that and even a little bit after the Chicago game is you don't you're not putting your position in, a, in a, you're not putting your players in a position to be successful and that's a head coaching problem. And and the other thing too is you know they're five games into this season you should have figured this shit out two weeks ago yeah that's the problem yeah. that's the problem they have but where Josh McDaniels and and Bill Belichick stepped up is they covered up a lot of Brady's weaknesses and they modified their offense for it Arians is not doing that Arians is literally saying you have to adapt your play to us and that is a foolish move and that and that's kind of one of the hallmarks of Belichick's career is 
okay, guy goes down with injury. Guy isn't having the game he should be, and he's an integral part of the game plan. All right, we're switching to plan B on this game plan. Somebody else is getting the ball. Yeah, it just shows to show the difference in the organization and the coaching. Because I mean, I mean, because that one playoff game, I forget who it was against, but it was one of the playoff runs where Gronkowski went down hurt, and he was a big focal part of that offense. He was all their game plan had. Yeah. They had to 180 that thing and change it rapidly. I do not see Bruce Arians doing this. No, they're not going to do it. And like no. I say, <laughs> at, at this stage, I haven't seen anything out of Tom Brady's play that is making me say he's going to rebound from this quickly. No. I don't think he is. I think that this is going to get worse before it gets better. And it ain't going to get any better because the, uh, this coming week, uh, they're going, they're playing Green Bay at home. Yeah, this could mm. be a very, very ugly game. Mm. And if they can't win against the Bears, which I'm sorry, Nick Foles is in as starting quarterback, but are you really scared of Nick Foles as your quarterback? Looks like Nick Foles probably joins a very elite group of people to beat Tom Brady twice. Yeah. yeah. Eli Manning. With Eli. Eli, Peyton, and uh, now Nick Foles. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that obviously they had a better performance on Nick than they did the week before where sure. you know I thought that sure. Chicago was I, – I picked Chicago as my lock the week before, mm, thinking sure. that they were going to play well. Sure. And, uh, you know, they didn't. So, yeah. uh, I, I I don't know what you're going to get out of this Chicago team. It's I mean, obviously you know the defense is going to play well. It's just a matter of whether the offense can put up, you know, more points than the defense gives up. And I know that's a maddenism, mm -hmm. but, I mean, it's really true. I mean, if their defense holds the team to 13 – all your all you need your offense to muster is fourteen. Well, you know, and, yeah. and, and that's it. Like it's not like yeah. they're asking. You know, it's not like uh, Kansas City or uh, you know, um, or, uh, I don't. I can't even think of another or, or Dallas. Mm -hmm. You know, where like they've lost games because their defense isn't good, so they need yeah. their offense to put up forty. Yeah. and pray that the defense can hold the team to thirty nine. Yeah. this is the opposite. Chicago just needs their offense to score two measly touchdowns because the chances of you scoring more than two against them are very unlikely. Oh, yeah. And that's the problem you're going to get with Nick Foles is you don't know which Nick you're going to get each week. Yeah. And that inconsistency, for right now, their defense is covering up a lot of what the Bears' offense is lacking. So oh, yeah. give credit to Khalil Mack and everybody else on that team. But going down the stretch, Foles is going to have to play more consistent. Yeah, and, and that defense is going to get real tested real quick. Break it down. So uh, this coming week, they are traveling to Carolina to play the Panthers. After that, they're traveling out to L.A. to play the Rams. Uh, then they play the Saints, Titans, and Vikings before their bye week. Yeah, so if they're expecting mm -hmm. to become this offensive juggernaut, I think they're in for a long haul. But not as bad as I think Tampa Bay is. I think Tampa Bay may have made the worst investment possible by giving mm -hmm. them all that guaranteed money because even if they do cut them or release them after the end of the season, still gets money. He still gets paid, and you have no backup plan. And you're gonna not be, gonna be too. Yeah, you're gonna be too high out of a pick to draft anybody worth it. Exactly. So Tampa Bay is going to have a lot of questions moving forward with this season. That being said, let us get to your leap, coach. Well, staying in the NFC South, I picked the Carolina Panthers to beat the team that plays out of Atlanta. The team um, formerly known as the Falcons. Yes. I uh, The line was two and a half, and Ken, go ahead, or Pat, go ahead. Yeah, so Carolina won by the final score of 23-16. to 16. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, 27-37 of 37 for 313 yards passing, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Matt Ryan, 21-37 of 37 for 226 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. I mean, what can you say? I mean, I... <laughs> Who is Atlanta? What I is mean, Atlanta? They're, they're not Atlanta. They're just a football team. Uh, I mean, Dan Quinn obviously was let go shortly after this game, which, mm -hmm. you know, you never want to see a guy lose his job. But, I mean, at this point, starting the season 0-5. You got to implode that. You, ha you have to. You didn't. You, there was no other choice. I mean, 
Uh, the ownership, you know, Blank had held on to this team as long as he could as far as the coaching staff. and Longer you know, than he should have. Yeah, and, you know, holding on to, you, you know, uh, Quinn as long as he could uh, for, through changing offensive coordinators to changing in defensive coordinators to, you know, uh, holding general manager, you know, to accountable. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it, this falls on Dan Quinn. Uh, and and just not being able to to muster up anything for this team to win games and I what what do you do with this team after this I mean Matt Ryan is 34 going on 35 uh, Julio Jones has uh, had some injuries this season um, you know arguably probably your biggest trade chip that you can maybe get you know an additional pick because at this point I think you have to let whatever you can trade trade to bring in as many picks as you can and completely start scratch um because you cannot you know whatever you do next season you know Matt Ryan you got to let him go you can't you can't hold on I mean it's just there's too much stink there's yeah. too much yeah. yeah and on the flip side of this Carolina team Matt Rule I'm sorry but you look like an NHL an NHL an NFL head coach your your team's playing very well your best player Christian McCaffrey goes down uh, and your team is playing just as well, if not better, without him. Yeah, you know, a la the Patrick Ewing theory, mm-hmm. uh, which I will still give that its name and do. Um, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't. I mean, Carolina's a very, they're a threat. You know, I mean, they're not a threat to maybe make a wild card, but they're definitely going to screw up some teams mm-hmm. along the way and mm-hmm. rob some teams of getting into the wild card because they're going to steal some victories from you. Yeah, no, I mean, good, it looks good, real good for the Panthers. They're making you know chicken salad out of chicken, you know what? And for the Falcons, I mean, this they are who we thought they were. They're a god awful team that, like coaches said, needs to get rid of everybody. You know, and and it really says something when you have the owner of the team, uh, Art Blank, saying, uh, "quote I love Matt much like I love Dan. I love Thomas. Matt's been a franchise leader for us. Great quarterback. One of the leading quarterbacks in the last." in the last 13 years in the NFL. I hope he's going to be part of our plans going forward, but that will be a decision that I won't make. Matt has the ability to play at a very high level, even at this age. Whether that's going to continue or not, I'm not sure. I appreciate his willingness to consider doing that and the level at at what he's playing for us for 13 years, which has been incredible. So we'll have to see. But then again, this is going to be a decision at the end of the day that will that part of it will be up to the player. Part of it will be up to the coaching staff. And whether or not Matt can keep himself together, God willing, he'll be able to do that and play at the level he's capable of playing at, close quote. I think it also says something when noted uh, Atlanta rapper T.I. wants Ryan out of out of Atlanta on a one-way ticket in like the worst way possible, it, which is never a good look. But the Falcons are the Falcons are awful. You know, this is a team that you look at it, okay, Matt Ryan, MVP, Real good quarterback, you know, big passing numbers. You know, every year he's been in the NFL. Todd Gurley on the rushing side. Who knows what we'll get from him? I personally don't think he's been the same since that injury when he was with the Rams. Yeah. On the flip side, you know, okay, not the greatest receiving core because Julio Jones has got his his injury issues going on, so he hasn't really been playing. But it's Matt Ryan. He should be able to make something out of it and, and cover some holes. But they're not. I don't know what the disconnect is. I don't know what the issue is. But you gotta you select everything and just delete it and just start over. The easiest way to describe it is they're mentally weak, and you have seen a pattern of this over the past couple seasons. This is just a nightmare for the organization, and what they have to do is clean house, mm-hmm. trade everybody. Mm-hmm. There is nobody that you want to keep and build around. I'm sorry. 
this whole team, if you can get some value for from some other teams in the league, jump at it. You're going to have a completely messy situation moving forward that I don't know if they're going to be rebuilt in the next couple of years. I no. mean, a, a crafty GM could come in there no. and really make some moves, but that uncertainty with that team, and they have all the potential weapons in the world, they should be dropping 35 a game. Oh, yeah. Easy. Oh, yeah. But they're mentally broken. I'm sorry. You can see it right here in the score in the box scores. They are not the same team that was dominating the NFC South for years. They're not. And I'm sorry. They shouldn't be even considered in a playoff conversation unless they're going to buy tickets. I, I'm looking at the depth chart. Matt Schaub is currently listed as, as their second string quarterback. I think they're at the point they got to bench Ryan and put Schaub in. Oh yeah. As would, wild as that is to say, because if you had told me that a couple of years ago that they might be considering, and I'm not saying they are, but just in my like, if they are, if you had told me a few years ago that the Falcons should bench. Matt Ryan for Matt Schaub. I would have said you're out of your mind. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that that answers anything. I oh, it doesn't, but Christ, you got to try something at this point. I mean, they, they did firing Dan Quinn. Yeah. <laughs> that was, it's not, I mean, it's not Ryan who, I mean, he 21 to 37 for 226 is not a terrible stat line. I'll I say, mean, but at the same token, firing Dan Quinn is like taking off a, a flat tire, but you still got a blown engine. Yeah, I mean, but the the problem is not just in one. I mean, it is literally it is the every whole team. It is each and every individual. So what you have to do, and that's what they're going to probably do this off season, is unload a lot of them. Oh yeah, yeah. Everybody, I mean, everybody's available. And I mean, that's going to be the ultimate answer. So I mean, it's Blue just light special. Yeah, I mean, and obviously if they continue on this path of, you know, 0 and 5 and finish, you know, in the position to get a top pick, you know, and you can do that because, yeah. you know, you land a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields uh or the kid out of uh North Dakota that everybody seems to be in yeah. love with that I you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't see it. But I mean, you know, you get one of those kids that you know, I, I Fields or you know, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, obviously, I, I'm very high on Trevor Lawrence, and for rightfully so. And you know, a lot of pro, you know, scouts are, are high on Justin Fields too. And with what Kyle Murray's done in Arizona, it's shown that you know that type of player can be successful. So, um, you know, with that being said, you get you get a pick high enough like that. That would be your turnaround. Start to your turnaround. You know, I mean. Either one of those guys can start right away, and you could essentially, if you didn't want to trade Julio Jones because of a loyalty and, and admiration for him, which Arthur Blank has shown that he has, Fields or, or Lawrence would be able to uh, be a suitable quarterback to hit that, you know, to throw passes to him. So, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know what you do from here, but it's got to be done because this is ugly. I understand the Julio thing, but at the same token, though, they have to be open to trading him because oh, yeah. I, I feel like the, the loyalty thing and, oh, he's been with us and he's put up with a lot of crap and he hasn't said anything and he hasn't gone out in the press and said any negative comments that's fine and that's great and that looks good on a greeting card but that at the same token might screw you over for however many years because you don't know what you're going to get out of julio jones in in the future if you have the opportunity to trade julio jones and get a first round pick or even a second round pick and go hey we're getting rid of julio jones we're going to get a great receiver out of that I'd take that all day. Oh, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not saying that if a team calls you, you know, you say no just because of loyalty. Right, I right, mean, right. the team calls you, you answer the phone, you evaluate, you know, your thing. I'm just saying, like, if they don't take that route because of the type of ownership that Arthur Blank is, I'm saying that you plug in Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, 
they will be mm-hmm. they will be capable to throw him the ball. Oh yeah, I fully agree with you on that. That they are going to have just so much uncertainty that there's no easy path to getting back to good. No, it's going to be bad. No, for it's it's going to be a long. I mean, I just literally. I mean, the Giants obviously have had a fall from grace. You know, since Coughlin got fired and sure the boat incident, McAdoo and. Schumer and now you know what's going on currently. I mean, so I I am in no position to sit here and call out the Atlanta Falcons, but you know I, at the same time when you know you, a spade is a spade. You know, I mean, you see what's going on in Atlanta and you see this fall from grace that they had. You know, from literally the moment that they lost that thirty point lead to the Patriots in the Super Bowl, they have not been the no. same franchise. No. Right, and it's it's. I can't name another sports team that literally has had something that was so close, that was such a lock, robbed from them, and then this just disintegration. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's literally been yeah. a downfall. Yeah. yeah, you can trace it back to that moment. We've talked about that many yeah. times. But and one other, when have you ever seen anything like that happen in sports? No, no, that's it's nuts, right? And no, that's, I mean, that's just the culture they have down there. I'm sorry, this is something that should have been wiped away. Your coaching staff should have really got with your players and really got refocused. They obviously haven't. So it just says they're soft. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. They, oh, yeah. And to your point about the Giants, yeah, the Giants have had a fall from grace. But at least in their case, it wasn't a fall off a goddamn cliff. Right. It was kind right. of this slow. It was like a roll downhill until you finally felt you hit rock bottom and then you go further down. That's fair. The Atlanta Falcons, it was the next goddamn season. And we were sitting here going, the hell is his team? Yeah, it's Super Bowl tough. hangover, but yeah. my God. You know, hangover. What the fuck happened? Them, it was they drove a car off a cliff and fell to the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, there's no ground that they have not been able to sink through. Like, I'm sorry, yeah. like they have sunk to the very bottom of wherever your lowest common denominator is. Yeah, and for yeah. Falcons fans, because I know, I Ken, you and I know yeah. a few, we are very sorry for you. It is a tough freaking run to go through with them. It's just impossible to think and just really grasp that a team of professional athletes cannot overcome something that happened this long ago and it's still haunting and then when you get into situations where you have to close against good teams you don't and for carolina they're not that good of a team they're in a rebuilding pretty yeah. much phase yeah a transition would, I, yeah, yeah a transition yeah. that's a better word thank you that you should be winning against them mm-hmm. and you didn't you looked like you didn't even belong on the field i don't care what the score says I mean, that's why Vegas put you as two-and-a-half-point favorites because they saw that, you know, you should be able to beat this team. Yeah, and the fact that you didn't, I think they're taking the step in the right direction, getting rid of the coach and GM. Like I say, I'm not happy that somebody is losing their job, but you have to start somewhere to send a message to your team, and I think that you're going to see more heads in different places next year that I think that obviously by the time we start playing next season, and I know I'm jumping ahead, this is going to be a whole different look for the Atlanta Falcons. Top to bottom. Whether they're going to be able to contend is a different story. I mean, we don't even know if they're going to be the Falcons next year, so let's just Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you got to change the team name. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's just wild to me that you think back to when they made that Super Bowl run and were in the Super Bowl, and yeah, they lost a the game. But all of their coaches were such a hot commodity. Mm-hmm. Everyone, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, you know, whatever, to the point where nobody will touch them. Well, they shouldn't go near them because obviously this kind of job – 
I wouldn't go near him. I mean, oh. Dan Quinn will get a defensive coordinator. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah they'll I rebound, mean, but I think for a head coaching position or the same positions they've had right now. Yeah, you, no, you they're can't. not going to – you can't evaluate them for a head coach, but I definitely could see a Dan Quinn landing for a team for oh, a defensive land, coordinator. Oh, he'll land somewhere for yeah. that, and then you see where you go from there. But for Atlanta, it is a very, very tough road ahead of you. And for Carolina, you played consistently well with all the injuries you have. Congratulations. Yeah. See if you can muster up some more success moving forward. Yeah. So that all being said, we have one more game to cover, and that is my lock, which was not a lock. And obviously there's a lot of storylines going on with that. I took the Dallas Cowboys nine-and-a-half favorites over those New York football Giants. <clears throat> and Pat, how'd that work out? Uh, so the Giants ended up winning, but not by the uh, necessary points spread that you were hoping for, uh, by the final score of 34-37. to Dak Prescott, 14 of 21 for 166 yards passing, zero touchdowns, one interception. Uh, also, Andy Dalton, 9 of 11 for 111 yards passing, no touchdowns, no interceptions. On the flip side, Daniel Jones, 20 of 33 for 222 yards passing, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. And I think from everyone here at the panel, we just want to wish Dak a very quick and speedy recovery. Absolutely. That was was the first thing I was going to say. Because goddamn that injury. Yeah, that was tough. That That, was tough. That was absolutely brutal. I I don't wish that on anybody. No. yeah, to echo Pat's statements, we here wish him a speedy and healthy recovery. But man, ah, ugh, sorry, I'm just I'm rethinking that injury. So getting back to the game, coach. Yeah, so I'm saving my energy for the NBA. So Giants fans who want me to shell on this team, I'm sorry, it's going to be a little more subdued because I'm I, I'm conserving right now, conservatory mode right here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, Giants are a bad football team. Yeah, and. Dallas is also a very bad football team. Yeah. The NFC East is a bad football division. It's yeah. brutal. Um, I uh, uh, will say that if the Giants do uh, get the first pick in the draft and don't draft Daniel uh, Trevor Lawrence, I will be absolutely furious. We're going to be on Twitter that. Yeah, or, I mean, or, this or, is, or Twitch that this night, is a no-brainer pick. I'm sorry, Daniel Jones, not the answer. Now, on the flip side of things, and something that I don't think that a lot of people are talking about because, well, people don't want to because they just generally don't like Daniel Jones because I've already said he's going to go on to another franchise and he's going to be a very decent, serviceable, borderline good quarterback for another team. But what I will tell you right now is I watched this game and I watched it very closely, and their wide receivers and offensive threats are shit. They are pure, unadulterated garbage. They There was no separation. I was watching these guys run routes. I was watching Daniel Jones hold the ball and getting pressure in his face. And yes, all right, does he hold the ball a little bit too much? Sure. Yeah. But nobody is even remotely open. I mean, to, to throw a ball to a guy breaking on a, on a, on a, a route, you have to feel like he's going to be able to separate himself from the defensive player next to him. Yeah. And I'm literally watching these guys run these routes, and Golden Tate's not open. He's, there's no separation. I'm watching the the one great throw that he had, Darius Slayton, on that uh, fly route. He wasn't open. Daniel Jones threw a great, a great ball and just said, go get it, young man. Mm. Evan Ingram was not open all game. I mean, for as great as a tight end threat as people make him out to be, which he did score a running touchdown, which, I mean, the fact that you need to run the ball with your tight end goes yeah. to show what you have offensively. It's just 
I feel for him because it's not his fault. And the offensive line is not good, but the wide receivers are not helping him at all because at least if they had a bad offensive line, if they at least had wide receivers that could remotely get open. And does he need to trust them a little bit more to throw some of those passes? Sure. Yes, it's the NFL. You're not going to have guys sitting in the middle of the field wide open like you do in college where you know uh, coverages break down and all of a sudden a guy's wide open. You're not going to have that. But my God, like... Uh, there's no room. There's yeah. no room. Yeah. And it's just it's infuriating to sit here. Now, another thing I'll say is, too, is I don't know. I saw guys run the same routes multiple times and be two wide receivers in the same position, you know, running like, you know, in routes or, or, or uh, curls and stuff. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, why? Why yeah. are they both running sure. the same routes? Is this Is this scheme? Is this... The you know read routes where it's all right the the uh, the defense is in a zone so we're gonna sit in the soft cushion and get open I don't know I I gotta watch more film but I I just I don't know what they're doing offensively but it's not good now defensively though they might have given up a bunch of points mm-hmm. but this defense ain't bad no it's not terrible I mean Zeke did not have a great game no no he, no, he didn't no and, he didn't. and that's Only kudos to the defensive uh, front line of the Giants which yeah. Blake Martinez. Or uh, uh, yeah, right, yeah. He is earning his money. He that young man that uh, came over from Green Bay is playing very well. Yeah. And kudos to him because I was a little skeptical at first. I was like, I don't know, you know, aging linebacker. I'm not sure. Not great in pass coverage, but he was all over the field, all over the field. And Dallas, you still got a shot at the division. Yeah, Dak. I hope a speedy recovery. We've said it multiple times. I'm gonna say it again because that was gruesome and. I, but I still think they're the favorites in the NFC East right now. Yeah, another CD yeah. Lamb is the truth. Yeah. Oh, eight catches for 124 yards. I mean, again, another uh, Dallas player getting open over the middle against the Giants. I mean, I'd watch Jason Witten do it for years. Uh-huh. Now I, I'm gonna have to watch uh-huh. CD Lamb do it for another because he's the truth. Yeah, this young man is very good. I mean, Amari Cooper was null and void. Yeah, he, I mean, he's non-existent in this. Two catches for 23 yards. And Gallup made two really great catches down the stretch, which obviously broke the Giants' back. But I'll tell you guys, I was sitting here watching this game, and I'm like, fuck, the Giants are going to win this game. I was, like, I, was like, I was sweating. I mean, you texted me checking to see when they were winning, and yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, the Giants are going to win this game. I'm, yeah. I'm dropping bullets. I'm telling my – I know I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to win this game. And I know you shouldn't wish ill on your team because they're your team, but I'm just saying, like, they should not have been in this game, and they were, no. and that upsets me. And it should upset Dallas fans. Yeah. It definitely should, Pat. No, yeah, I mean, like you said, Daniel Jones, he's got nothing to throw to. Okay, yeah, Darius Slayton, eight catches for 129 yards, no touchdowns. That looks great and all. But I don't remember seeing, because we've talked about the Giants a fair amount, I don't remember seeing that on a consistent basis from anyone on that receiving core. No, and and Slayton had moments last year against Detroit, you know, where he had a 100-plus two-touchdown game. But, no, you're right. Yeah, no, and and I got to give credit, like you said, to the Giants' defense. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, 19 carries, 91 yards, only two touchdowns, averaged 4.8 yards per carry. That's a real good stat line for that Dallas defense, you know, or uh, Giants' defense, I should say. Yeah, they gave up, like Coach said, yeah, they gave up 37 points. But had Dak not been injured, Dallas should have hung like 50 on these guys. Yeah, easy. Yeah? Easy. Like, I remember all three of us saying last week, listen, if you got anybody available in your fantasy team that's uh, on the free agent and from Dallas, 
Grab him. Just start not him. Just not Amari Cooper because he only yeah, got no, me two points. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> but this is the area you got to look at Mike McCarthy and say you came in, you're supposed to you know re-energize this franchise, and you definitely have not done the same team. No, it's the same team yeah. as last year. It's literally they you know middle of the game when they were down, forgot Dak exist or forgot Zeke existed, mm-hmm. and threw the ball too much. Yeah. And this is a you know now granted, all right, four point six yards per carry. Is still really good. I mean, that's what you want from your running back. Right, but they're not utilizing him enough. No, they're not. And that's the problem that Dallas has to face because, I'm sorry, the fact that you let the Giants jump out to you and it's a bad Giants offense Ugh. to punch you in the mouth, mm. and then obviously what happened with Dak mm. is we we're taking that out of the equation. Yeah. The fact that the Giants could hang around this long is an insult to your team. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I don't care that you're in the worst division in all of the NFL. You still need to put these games away if you're supposed to be a legit contender. And on paper, you are. But when it comes to playing the games, you are not. And I fault yeah. McCarthy about this. I say there was a scrappy win by Andy Dalton, who still yeah. had something left in the tank. Yeah. But this did not do anything to impress me. And no. for being a team that we said was going to have a deep run in the Super Bowl, unless I'm playing a video game, I don't see it happening. Well, no. it's like I said, you know, I was wearing my giant stuff to, you know, my daughter's uh, softball game. And, you know, oh, we got a chance. And I'm like, you know, it just depends on which unit sucks less. Sure. It, the Giants defense or the Giants offense or the Cowboys defense. Mm-hmm. Whichever unit can stop the team first is going to win this game. And obviously the Cowboys defense did get big stops down the stretch, yeah. you know, with a couple sacks that they were able to get um that helped turn the game around, but you know, it was fun to see the Giants in a game though, you know, yeah. because yeah. it had been a while. I mean, obviously yeah, they played decent against the Rams out of nowhere. Um but I just I don't know 0-5, it's tough. It's yeah. hard. It's yeah. so hard. And I don't know. I They, they have to address the uh, the offense this offseason. Yeah. I mean, that's what they have to do. I just broke my goddamn pen. I'm so upset. No, no, yeah. You know, they, I mean, they got to get a receiver. They have to. I mean, you know, and I know we just threw out A.J. Green's name, but it's like, you know, you trade Odell Beckham, you know, because of culture and locker room stuff, and you have the same you you don't you didn't replace him with anybody. Golden Tate was supposed to be the replacement and he's not living up to that. And you know, Sterling Shepard's been hurt and and that's frustrating because you know, he has had some injuries in the past which you know, no player wants to have. They want to be on the field, but at the same time it's like is he a number 1 wide receiver? No, yeah. he's a slot guy. You know, I mean, that's what he was at Oklahoma. So I mean, he's not the answer, you know. So I, whatever they do this offseason, obviously, uh, first move, I hope, is get rid of Gettleman. Second move is draft Trevor Lawrence. And then the second is find a wide receiver that they can pair him with that can get open. They're going to have to do something and something in a hurry. And that's the only question that is going to be the factor for the Giants. Because if they keep going down this road, yeah, you're going to be 0-16. And sure, that puts you in the talk for Trevor. But after I mean, that, 0-16, 2-14 and next year. I mean, it's not going to be good for a long time. It's not going to be good for a long time. So no. they, they have got a lot of work to do. And for Dallas... You still have a lot of work to do. Yeah. I'm sorry for being a contender. You're not. Yeah. Well, and the record speaks for itself. Dak, Dak's injury, what it does is, I for me, I think, help keep McCarthy safe yeah. for a year. Kills my fantasy team. That's yeah, well, that's sure. for sure. But, yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, I went in after watching this game and while the Giants were still winning, thinking that the Giants were going to end up fucking up and winning this game, saying to myself, you, have, you cannot, if the Giants win this game, and the season traje- trajectory is the same way it was for Dallas. Yeah. So with everybody healthy and they finish, I don't know, 
you know, five and eleven, mm. and they have two losses against the Giants, maybe one against Washington, two against Philly, and they win some outside division games. Finishing five and eleven, you have to fire McCarthy. You wouldn't. Oh, have you have to fire him. But now, now he's given a pass. You know, he's got a little bit of a pass. Yeah, he's given a little bit of a pass, and he does have one minor benefit, I guess, is Andy Dalton is a very seasoned quarterback. Yeah, that, that was a good. I mean, looking hindsight, yeah. we all thought, you know. Dalton, really? I yeah. mean, yeah, no. why Dallas? You yeah. know, yeah, no, but smart on their part. It's a smart on the on their part because because like they said during the game, he had you know for his not great as he is, he did lead the Cincinnati Bengals to like five oh, yeah. playoffs, six six playoff runs. Yeah, he yeah. can so he can he can do it, and he looked good. And this was with no first team reps. He's a serviceable yeah. quarterback. He will get the job done. Like yeah. I said, he, there obviously it's a terrible situation what happened with Dak, but at least yes. they have something to fall on that can keep them in games, and that's Andy Dalton. I mean, we've seen what he can do and obviously get to the playoffs, help the Bills get to the playoffs. I still haven't forgotten about that. That's true. So all that being said, Dallas has got a, a chance to really make a run in a very bad bad, bad division. Mm-hmm. Can they do it? That's going to be the question. Yeah. Final thoughts around the NFL, Coach? I, uh, I'm Oakland beating Kansas City. I know, Yo. Ken, you wanted to dive deeper on this, but, you know, I stole it from you, so ha-ha. Um, yeah, I, what a what a great game that was. That was I nuts. mean, just offensively, you know, burn burner. You know, every possession you thought a team was going to go down and score, and, you know, I guess blueprint game, you can call it. I mean, yeah. Josh, I guess the X factor for if you want to beat Kansas City is, you know, the same way that it's always been against a great offensive team. Yeah. Keep their offense off the field. Yeah. No, that's all you got to do for <laughs> I that. mean, that's the answer. Hey, guys, guru over here, you know, just run the ball and run it well, and yeah. you'll be okay. Yeah. And obviously gave a, a blueprint the first time I believe they've lost in 16 games. Yeah, they said since yeah, November, November of, of 2019. Yeah. That's absolutely wild to see. But, hey, the Raiders punched them right in the mouth. Is division yeah. game. So yeah. that's like I said, no matter how bad the team is, you don't know what you're going to get on a division game. And that's uh-huh. something that you always have to keep in mind. Oh, yeah. and and Justin Herbert. Yes. Yeah. And his coming out party last night. Yeah. Young man is going to be a hell of a quarterback. And who said that the Giants? I don't know. You know, maybe me, but I'm just saying, like, this kid looks good. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that was without Keenan Allen, He, you know, and without uh, uh, their star running back, too. So, real deal. No, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, Pat. Uh, I think we got to talk just real quick about the New Orleans Saints uh, suspending their star wide receiver Michael Dude. Thomas for one game. Uh, so Saturday in practice, he got in a fight with teammate C.J. Gardner Johnson, uh, and then was insubordinate toward head coach Sean Payton and the coaching staff. So uh, Jeff Duncan of the Atlantic uh, reported uh, today, as we record, that Thomas quote talked back to coaches, including Payton, and obstinately refused counsel uh, after the confrontation with Gardner Johnson, uh, which sparked the, the team decision to sit him out on Monday night's win over the Chargers. Uh, and according to New Orleans, the official reason for the suspension was, quote, conduct detrimental to the team uh, related to the incident. Uh, and that was according to the Associated Press. So I teased this a little bit earlier. Yeah, A.J. Green guy might have a career resurgence in uh, New England, but if guy having issues with his team, getting in fights with teammates, if they're looking to, and I'm not saying they are, but if they're looking to ship him out, uh, I know a team up in the Northeast in the New England area that would love to take Take him. Hey, it's, there's anything they, possible they, with that. They've had success with taking receivers who have issues with their teams and coaches and uh, turning it into a great success. Yes, Cam could definitely use a weapon up there. Uh-huh. But I'm actually going to take a quick page out of Coach's book. Uh-oh. Because there was a player from Notre Dame that had a monster game Uh-oh. on Sunday. <laughs> and <laughs> that is Chla- Ch- Chase, Chase Claypool. Claypool. Yeah, baby. See, I got so amped up. I, was gonna I know. Hey, listen. 
What did I say during our draft show? I said six foot five wide receiver. You can't teach that. No. To borrow a phrase from you know shunned wrestlers. Yes, you can't teach it. He is dynamic. I said after the uh, Iowa State bowl game or Iowa bowl game, I'm sorry, that he was the real deal. He does it on special teams. He does it running the ball. I wanted the Giants to draft him, and for what reason? Because six five wide receivers are just not a dime a dozen. Yeah. No. So he obviously had a coming out party. Huge game against the Eagles. You gotta like it. I like it. Say. Chase Claypool is the real deal and obviously is going to be the big fantasy pickup this week. Don't have anything to talk about the Bills because the Bills are going to be playing Tuesday night. Right now? Yes, as well, we're soon. recording. Yeah. yeah, so I obviously I'm trying not to catch too many scores because <laughs> I would be so distracted. It's not even going to be funny for the game. But it just goes to show of how crazy the NFL is because you have a situation like Pat was talking about with Michael Thomas in New Orleans yeah. mm-hmm. and how how quickly that's gone south. And, and I mean, how much that changes the, the Saints' offense. Yeah, yeah, because they did not. I mean, Drew Brees didn't have a pass over six yards for his first, like, 15 passes. That's that, Drew Brees yes. not throwing over six yards. That's nuts. And then to flip the coin to you have Claypool, who comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, not nowhere for me, but yes. maybe for some you. Non, some nondescript university I don't think we've yeah. ever heard Charlie of. Charlie Weiss, you. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I mean, listen, I... I, I can't say. I mean, you just you see it in DK Metcalf. Yeah, big, strong wide receivers are successful. And the crazier stat is Pittsburgh literally doesn't draft first round first round wide receivers. True, they get these guys. They're the tenth guy, the eleventh guy off the board, and they're getting them in the third and fourth round. And they are turning them the sharp. I mean, the the best wide receiver that they've drafted outside of Brown was Juju Schuster in the yeah. second round. Yeah. So, I mean, they're fine. And, that, and that's true for a lot of their offensive weapons. No, absolutely. I mean, it just goes to show what the Steelers are capable of doing. They are a top-notch organization. Well, so. Sam, I wish the Giants drafted well, say as Christ, well. well. Christ, what was it? James Conner was like the third or fourth round? Yes. Yeah. And now there was some talk that Le'Veon might be going back from the Jets. <laughs> I love that story. I, I just that that's not. Oh, we. I mean, let's talk. Le'Veon Bell looking to get. I mean, and Jimmy G. I guess San Francisco looking to move on uh, from Jimmy Garoppolo and uh, Le'Veon Bell apparently is also in trade talks. So it's fun to see the NFL have trade talks because for years, yeah, it was Never. just nothing. It was like random X middle linebacker traded for six-round uh, conditionary pick. And that middle linebacker was like the third stringer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was literally no name traded for six-round compensatory, compensatory pick. Yes. But now you're actually going out and you're hearing these great trade rumors. It's like, awesome, let's get names moving. I will completely laugh hysterically if Le'Veon goes back to Pittsburgh. Considering how messy that divorce was, I know a couple Pittsburgh fans that I would love to hear their take on it if oh, it happens. It would be that would be the epic thing. That's what I'm watching at the trade deadline. Oh yeah, because obviously the Jets are right there with the team formerly known as the Falcons and, just, and, and the Giants. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of bad football to talk about, but there's also so Ugh. much good football mm-hmm. to talk about. We gave you a lot to digest, so definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about this past week's NFL action? We definitely want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey friends, we're the girls at Unpredictably Us Podcast. I'm Athena. And I'm Christy. We're two friends that are running through life's unpredictable obstacles to see how well we achieve or fail those crazy moments. We know a life without some living in it won't provide a story worth telling. So grab some coffee, maybe wine, and buckle up because we're going on another adventure. You can sit with us on Wednesday. Welcome to Unpredictably Us Podcast. (laughs) 
This is Rich, the host of the Three Fat Nerds podcast and co-host of the Horror Zone 607 podcast. And you are listening to our hashtag 607 podcast brothers, the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Now kick it back over to Ken Moneybags and the crew. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we want to give a listener warning, Pad. Yep. Uh, so the thoughts, views, and opinions upcoming are that of Coach Duffy and do not reflect that of the ODPH, that being Ken or myself. Uh, listener discretion is advised, and I have advise you to go get some popcorn. Yes, we have teased this. Coach texted, texted us immediately after the game was over. Ken's uh, hand is hovering over the mute button. Yep, I have to watch the boards here because on Sunday... October 11th, the Los Angeles Lakers defeated the Miami Heat 106-93 to to bring home the NBA championship for this season. 17th time. Yes. Uh, LeBron James, 28 points. Uh, he definitely put on a performance, and I know Coach has been itching to talk about it because there's been some ripple effects going on from this mm-hmm. game. So, Coach, the floor is yours. I'm going to borrow a line from a Batman movie. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. You either retire or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And that is what Mr. James has done for me. I'm not a, I want to I want to start I want to I want to say I'm not a James hater. I've never been. I've rooted for him. All the success that he's had, all the accolades, great. But what I don't respect and what bothers me is his need and necessity to reach for these people to to respect him and, and all this stuff like he had to add after winning the MVP. LeBron, everybody respects you. Everybody already respects you. You've won MVPs. You've won championships. You've won awards. You don't need to, in a a post-game press conference, say, put some respect on my name. There's already respect on your name. It's already there. So why why is it always these constant like these jabs and these and these things and then the Instagram post of the of the cigar and the and the comment you know with uh, again saying that you know he's been um, you know under uh, appreciated no you are appreciated you are the greatest player of this generation you don't need to seek that I I just don't understand the necessity of this celebrate you've won this championship. Now, on the flip side of that, the Heat, and, and a pundit for Fox Sports who, you know, on Twitter was bashing Jimmy Butler for charnishing his legacy and, and oh, we, you know, because everybody kills LeBron, you know, LeBron because he's three of, what, six in the finals? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, four of six, something like that. Leave Jimmy out of this. Let's celebrate LeBron. Miami shouldn't have even been there. No. Miami had no business as the fifth seed making it and beating the unstoppable Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah. And 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 holding Giannis to being a, you know, uh, um from Superman to a normal human. Let's say to a non-factor. Yeah, to a non-factor. I mean, literally they they limited everything that he had as far as offensive ability and then to be able to go up against a great Boston team with, you know, four perennial all-stars and still be able to beat them in five. Yeah. Jimmy Butler's earned the respect of this league. And and if not talked of as one of the best players in the league, should be. Because not only does he do it offensively, but he's doing it defensively. And he was covering the best player. Mm-hmm. Now, to go back on, on the LeBron thing, and, and then the Jordan talk, if I may. Sure. Dive into that real quick. Sure. Because here's the thing. I understand that LeBron's great and, and everything. 
But the difference with LeBron versus Jordan, and everybody, oh, Jordan played with four all, you know, NBA Hall of Famers. So did LeBron. Michael Jordan didn't seek to play with those guys. Now, did they go get Dennis Rodman? Yes. Oh, yeah. Did he request Dennis Rodman come over? Yes. But that was after Dennis Rodman was released by uh, San Antonio and looked like he was going to be out of the NBA because at that point he was the worm and not Dennis Rodman anymore. Mm-hmm. But he won championships with John Paxson as his starting point guard. B.J. Armstrong as his starting point guard. What Jordan did versus what LeBron did was Jordan won with the talent around him. Scottie Pippen, had he gone to Seattle, who would have known what he would have turned into? Would he have been an NBA Hall of Famer and you know five-time All-Star? Maybe not. You know, Maybe he would have. But I'm just saying, Jordan elevated those guys. LeBron sought out to go play with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. Sure. Now, to his credit, this was Boston who escalated everything by creating the big three and all that. Sure. But whatever. LeBron made Rob Polinka trade three-fourths of the roster before to bring in Anthony Davis, a prime, in his prime, Anthony Davis, so he could help win him a championship. Did LeBron raise the performance of Anthony Davis? No. Anthony Davis is an all-star without him. He brought in Danny Green. Danny Green is one of the greatest 3 and D players of this generation. Now, did he have a great series? No, did, no, but did he raise the talent of Danny Green? No. Fun fact, Danny Green's going to get his ring from the Lakers before he gets his ring from the Raptors. <laughs> Probably. He brought in Rajon Rondo. Did he who, raise... Who, who hated LeBron at one point. Right. But did he raise the talent of Rajon Rondo? Probably improved it a little bit. I mean, from being you know almost out of the NBA, but Rajon yeah. Rondo was a great player yeah. prior to. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rond- he, Rondo's a polarizing player. Yeah. Yes. Did he raise the talent of Dwight Howard? No. Did he maybe help him refine his game? Probably. Hey, Dwight Howard I, won a championship in Orlando, just not for the Magic. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll hey. give that to him. Mm. But Jordan raised the level of talent around him. Yeah, yeah. And then to and then on the flip side of it, oh, you know, Jordan wouldn't be able to make it or vice versa. You plug LeBron in, you know, what? let's just say you put him with the Cavaliers and you put him in that generation. LeBron cannot would be a power forward having to play a series against Dennis Rodman, Stacey Augman, John Sally, and Bill Lambeer of that Detroit team. And the ticky-tack fouls where he got bumped by Tyler Hero and fell to the ground like he got shook by a six foot one point guard, Tyler Hero, that probably bench presses his 135, to act like you got knocked out was ridiculous. Bill Lambeer would have saw that and said, okay, this guy's mentally not here, and we're going to put it to him. And that's what they did to Jordan. Now, on the flip side of it, you put Jordan in today's era, Jordan's going to be just fine because why? Jordan would elevate his game to what today is. Jordan be putting up 70 every night. Exactly. Yeah, would. It'd be ridiculous. And you want to talk about the limit, you know, uh, Jordan, how he was a mid-range player. Well, Jordan would change his game so his three-point shooting was better, which he did towards the end of his career when the the three-point shot was becoming more important. Uh-huh. Jordan elevated his talent level to become a three-point shooter. Then let's talk about what they faced in the finals. LeBron James had uh, you know gone up against the San Antonio team with Tim Duncan and uh, Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker. Great. You know, three Hall of Famers, right? Absolutely. He went against the uh, you know this year uh with Miami, was there any Hall of Famers on this? Maybe Jimmy Butler. Yeah. You know, uh, time will tell. Time will tell. When he was in Cleveland, obviously, yes, Golden State, four perennial Hall of Famers. The difference being, though, when LeBron, when Jordan did this, it wasn't ju- the West wasn't what it was 
today as it was back then. Oh, yeah. The right, West was right. down. Now, he faced Magic towards the end of his career, yes. Sure. But he still beat a Hall of Famer in Magic. Sure. He beat a Clyde Drexler team with Cliff Robinson, who arguably, RIP, was one of the stronger players at his time who could have been a Hall of Famer had he not gotten injured and his career kind of taken a downward slope because he was a th- the first stretch forward really in the NBA had ever seen. Mm-hmm. Then you go against, uh, you had a S- S- Seattle twice. Sean Kemp and Gary Payton, two of the best players to ever play in the oh, NBA, yeah. arguably, at their oh, positions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sean Kemp was a dynamic power forward. Jordan beat him twice. You have the Utah Jazz then you had to face twice. John Stockton, Carl Malone. In their prime. To yeah. the greatest combination of, of point guard, power forward ever. Jordan beat them twice. I don't understand. The talent is there. LeBron, just, the difference is, obviously, talent is always going to, everybody's going to get better as as things change. Sure. You know, you put, you know, players in the NFL of yesteryear in today, yeah, they're not going to be as good. But you put players from, you put Saquon back in 1940, Holy yeah, Saquon Barkley's going to be the all-time leading rusher. The difference being, though, is that Jordan stopped those guys from winning anything. The Knicks had years of being good, but were beaten down. Oh, and fuck, I forgot Charles Barkley. In his prime, an MVP year, Charles Barkley's best year with Dan Marley, Kevin Johnson, Wayne Tisdale, still couldn't beat Jordan. Well, it goes to show a couple things here. Let me jump in. Go ahead. I give you a second (sighs) to catch your breath here. So, one, if we focus on this series... Did LeBron elevate the play of his team? I don't think he did, but he definitely brought out something in Anthony Davis. Yes. And he definitely elevated him in the sense of this is what it feels like to make a deep run in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Because Davis didn't have that. Because, right. I mean, obviously, looking at the stat line from the last game, I mean, LeBron had 28, Davis had 19, and then Rondo had 19. Everybody else is in single, di- well, except for Green and uh, Coldwell Pope. But but to be fair, though, to that stat, what was the Lakers' record prior to this game with Anthony Davis scoring less than nineteen, less than twenty points? They were zero in like yeah, seven. Something, yeah. What were they when he scored more than twenty points? Oh, he's un- they he's were undefeated. undefeated. So did he really? Now did he teach him how to get to the finals? Sure, yeah. Kobe did that with Gasol right. and Odom. But that's where I, I'm saying, like. I, I'm not. De- I'm not defending uh, I'm, against your argument because, but I'm just bringing up the point though. Just, you have to. You have to look. You have to look at something though. Yeah. You have to look at how he took this team in this era of basketball, and we have to stress it is an era. It is definitely not the same as the Jordan era. Sure. So trying to do that comparison, you can't because obviously we live in the super team era. Mm-hmm. That right. You need to have your GMs organize a complete salary cap miracle to get you enough quote-unquote talent around and everybody needs to gel together to work. LeBron has been very smart about doing this because if you look at when he left Cleveland originally and he went to Miami and that was when the super team really came in because they put on such a big spectacle of it. Well, I mean, Boston Boston did, but Boston was it. subtle about it. Right, right, and, right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 I mean, LeBron, yeah. the pageantry and the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm sorry, the whole Not, workout went five, six, seven. The and, minute you did that, that's when everything swung in the pendulum. Sure. And you have to realize that that is when they tried setting up the blueprint of doing it. And obviously when they had some some success mm-hmm. in Miami when they beat that Oklahoma City team when oh, they yeah. first sure. they faced in the finals. Now, but then they got ran out of the gym by Dallas. To that, though, too, OKC, at the, yeah, there's Hall of Famers on that team, but they weren't there yet. They were young. You know, right. They were babies. They were, young. You know? they were still young, but... 
But, and, but that's but that, I mean again that that but that's what people will point to. Oh, LeBron beat that you know four Hall of Famers again in the OKC series. Right. They beat them in rookie they years. They did, but yeah. they beat them in their young. You know, they were third four years guys yeah, in the league even, yeah. just trying to find their footing. I guess the thing that really just it just fucking irks me is it's like let's f- celebrate the win. Why well, does it need to be this narrative of put respect on my name and because. And, No, I I can explain this for you. Yeah. Because he likes to use this as a motivational tool. Mm -hmm. And he lives off this. This Uh See, this is something he's always done. Because you remember when he won that first title in Miami? What was the press conference And right after, like when they brought everybody out? Do you remember what his first words were? I don't. It's about damn time. Uh, That was the first time. and and, And here's the other thing, too. You think back to when he first got drafted and went into Cleveland. It was all... The, you know, the homecoming king, the son comes to play professionally in his hometown team and lauded and, and praised and the, and the red carpet was rolled out and the trumpets sounded and, and, you know, every kingly, you know, adjective you can use to where he left. And, and up to that, yeah, he had some success. Yeah, he carried that. De- he broke his goddamn back carrying that team on oh, yeah, for yeah, a yeah. lot of years. Yeah, sure. Garbage with, teams. With shit players. I'm sorry, but they were. Yeah, no, that's facts. To where... You look at what happened when he left, and he made that decision. Now, I know he's called it as, oh, I went to college. You know, I had mm-hmm. you know, the quote-unquote sure, college yeah. experience. Yada, yada. And, I, I, you know, at first I was like, eh, but then I, I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That's where I think the motivation came from, where he learned, oh, I got to use this negativity and this animosity towards me as a motivational tour, as motivational factor, because we all remember what happened that night when he made that de- the decision and all the footage that came out afterwards of every th- half of Cleveland being on fire because people were lighting their jerseys on fire. Well, it's also how he did it. I mean, that was the oh, thing. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I agree, but he, you cannot say he didn't use that as motivation. Oh, I well, know he did because all of a sudden he became a villain. He had that horrible TV commercial about, um, am I the villain now? And it was oh, like, yeah. I, I forget yeah. what, what that was exactly for. Yeah. But it was like, yes, you inherit that role, so you need to own up to that role. And when he was in Miami... That is what he was portraying, but he didn't like how that was coming across, so he started using that as all motivation. Yeah. Now, is it the right way to do it? No. Debatable. No. It's debatable, but to have that big a chip on your shoulder, especially now yeah. that his playoff finals record is four and six, mm-hmm. you can't keep saying, put respect on my name, you are a respected player. Yeah. And how you did it in this era, there's nobody saying that you're not. But if you are trying to say that you're bigger than Michael Jordan, sure, there is an issue with that. Sure, and and to your point, and you know, to LeBron's put respect on my name. People are putting respect on your name. People respect the hell out of you. But yes, people are trying to say you are seeing Jordan's better or you're better. That's just human nature. Humans do yeah, that for humans course. do that for everything. The majority of NBA fans, casual or like myself, or diehards like Coach Duffy. Respect the hell out of you. I don't root for him. I don't root against him. I like to see him play, and I and I appreciate what I'm seeing because, as I've said before, I didn't get to watch Jordan play because I was too young, and at that point, I just didn't give a shit about no, sports. That's fair. That's I fair. didn't give a shit about sports. So for me, this is my Jordan moments and my Jordan years where I'm seeing the greatest player of this generation playing. And, and yes, people respect him. The majority of people respect him. It, it is a minority. That doesn't respect him, but it is a vocal minority for him. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, I just, I mean, I guess that's what my problem is with it, is that it's always these, you know, Jordan and and the Kobe's, when they won championships, there was a moment of clarity. Like, you know, this is done, and it's a celebration, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and And LeBron, I just feel it's such a, 
unnecessary pettiness. Oh, you're right. No, you're you're fully right with it. And it, and I just it irks the shit out of me. Rejoice, my man. Like you don't need to take the subtle jot the jabs at pundits that don't mean anything. You know, like the you know KD is a similar way. You know, it's like sure. just ignore it and enjoy the celebration and and the realization that you are you know a four time champion. And all right, yeah, you know, it's just I it's just. It irks the shit out of me. Let's just celebrate the win. And the one that really irked me first, you know, because that, that, yeah, that one was kind of like, yeah, but the one that irked me the most is, oh, put some respect on back on the Lakers' name. Put some respect on the Lakers' name. And I'm like, what put, what fucking respect? The only people I don't think they're respecting the Lakers or their names are some people up in a sports bar up in Boston. Right. Yeah. The rest of the NBA, yeah, they might have no love lost for them. They might not love them. They might not hate them. But they respect. Hi, I'm. You know, I don't love or hate the Lakers, but I respect the hell out of them. Well, right. But that's like I say, he likes to use it as the happy narrative, and that's supposed to be his motivational thing because now the Lakers have won their 17th championship. Mm-hmm. So the narrative now flips to okay, where is LeBron's legacy now? Because obviously, Raptor came out. People are trying to say he's the goat. He's not. It's just preposterous. It's to just even think. if you want to try really breaking down the facts, and this is where we're really devoting a lot of the segment to. You have to look at how he's won those finals. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He's, yes. And that's and that's the argument that people don't like seeing because this is the first finals he has won without James Jones. Right. Yeah. It is just a situation. That's that, the X factor, Pat, is James Jones. James that, Jones. That every team he's gone on to make a finals run has been loaded up with at least two superstars. Mm-hmm. You can say varying degrees. Sure. Sure. Because Kevin Love and Kyrie, okay, that was another pairing he had. Bosch and Wade. Yeah. And now Davis and Rondo. So that's why I said, yeah, you, you I mean, to, well, Ron, yeah, Rondo obviously is, he played very well in this series. But I mean, to me, you know, the guy that is the unsung hero that, you know, isn't an all star, but, you know, obviously could be, is Danny Green. Yeah. Who they brought in for that specific reason. Right. But with all that being said, this is where. LeBron is trying to to fuel some flames because yeah, I'm sure he wants to be thought of in that Jordan conversation, but he's so much of a basketball historian, he knows that he's not. Right. And I think that well, that's so he, where you see the pettiness come out. He was way too friendly and close with Kobe cuz Kobe I think was the best person to ever take that path with the whole comparison. And he just said, listen, that's for you guys to decide. I don't care. Right. That was the smartest thing ever. He's a different mentality. He's right. A different mentality. My thing with the whole debate is It's your own personal opinion. For me, LeBron is the greatest of this generation. But for me, Jordan is better just because, yes, LeBron's a great player, great scorer, defender, what have you, know, leader, what have you. But just Jordan had that X factor, that killer instinct. And we'll think back to the last dance where they were out to dinner for whatever finals it was against, I believe it was the Jazz or the Sonics or whoever the hell it was. Sonics. Sonics. George George Carl didn't say hi to him at dinner. Yeah. It's something as simple as. It could have been dim lighting, and he just didn't see him. And Carl didn't say hi to him, and Jordan decided he was going to end their finals and basically go for the jugular. But you know what Jordan didn't do was say that in a press conference. Yeah, Jordan but no. Jordan, <laughs> I mean, Jordan had that killer instinct that he would use any goddamn thing, right. re- real well, or not. I mean, talk about the king of fucking petty is yeah. Jordan, but he does it in his own subtle way. Yeah. yeah. The only time he's ever done it was his retirement speech for the Hall of Fame. Facts. Yeah. That's the only time right, yeah. you ever saw the true pettiness yeah. come out in him. But Jordan had that killer instinct and that just, you know, will that put him on a whole other level that I've never seen LeBron come out 
and just score He's never like had a it. man possessed. I just it just frustrates the hell out of me because it's that narrative, that that conversation that we are having right now that we shouldn't be having. What we should have been talking about is the Lakers dominating performance against a very good up and coming Miami team. I agree. And instead what is what is it, grabbed my attention was the Nick Wrights, the you know LeBron's the the LeBron pundits that cover him 24/7 that you know that just work him for their media cred and and just cover him in this way that you know makes him this uh, un, you know f- godly figure and it's just not fair. No, it's, it's and it's not fair in the sense of boo hoo, it's just not fair in the sense of let's take this for what it is. He's a very very talented player, arguably the best of his generation. But he is not and will not ever be better than Jordan, period. Right. No matter what he does, he could score more points. He could score more rebounds. He could have more rebounds and more assists. He better. He's six foot eight. He yeah. better have more rebounds than Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. But the, what you have to look at, though, is whoever's around him, this is what he's feeding into, and this is what he wants to portray because he knows all the heat, no pun intended, Hey-o. he got when he was in Miami. And that has never set well with him that he became the bad guy. No. It wasn't. But when he came back to Cleveland, and granted, Cleveland was stacked at that point because they had how many number one draft picks? Christ. Like well, they, I mean, they, they also made the move for Kevin Love. Right. Prior to him coming, that right. was... So the setup was all set for him to come back, and it was a great redeeming story. And I, and, and I will say this, to his credit, he didn't have to go back. No. He went... Because he felt he owed it to the fans in the city of Cleveland. And obviously the animosity with ownership there and Dan Gilbert and everything. I mean, the storylines were there. Oh, yeah, know? completely. But he did it to make it up to the fans. So like I guess I give him a redeeming factor for that. Like, I, he has a pass about Cleveland. Sure. I, but when you take a look at how he's left, and when he went to Miami and he became the villain, and then even when he was with Cleveland, mm-hmm. he, he still had a villain mentality, so speak, to him. But once you remember when he won that championship in Cleveland, he's kept screaming, this is for you, this is for you. He never went out on this whole, uh, give me my respect, give me this. Yeah, it was, it, it was, was nothing. for the fans. He yeah. did it for the fans. This one was the ego going because he wanted to prove that he could do it in the West Yep. because that was the big narrative. And I'll, be, I'll admit, I was the first one to say that sure. on the show, that he was a complete idiot for going to the West because why would you go there in your last years with that roster at the time? Well, Let alone, the, uh, that was that <laughs> roster at the time, so right. I can use my asterisks for that, but I'm not going to make any excuses for it. I said that comment, and I'll stick to it. Well, you how, did you know that he was going to then make you know Palenka go out and get Anthony Davis no. by trading two-thirds of the roster away? No, but once they pulled that off, it was like this must have been the master plan at all. That's why I say in this era of the super team, he is the MVP. Right, and I mean you can't – it started with Boston. Yeah. So I don't fault him for going to Miami. No, because Boston gave the blueprint. Right, and well, Boston gave the, the okay to make this happen. Now, they went about it a different way because Danny Ainge made trades to yeah. bring these guys in. Sure. It wasn't, you know, okay, I'm going to play with my two best friends in South Beach and enjoy this lifestyle. I think the difference is, though, is that, you know, with in the Jordan era, you know, there wasn't a lot of free agency moves unless guys were, you know, traded. So, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of team, you know, guys just stayed with the teams for their entire career. Now, mind you, obviously, you know, he didn't have to face Lajuan. That's not his fault. Right. I mean, that 96 run, they almost did. I mean, up till game seven against the Jazz, you know, it looked like Houston was going to win that series. And had they have done that, it would have been a Lajuan, Ewing, Drexler, and um, uh, uh, the point guard there, Cassell. Yeah. 
four potential Hall of Famers he would have had to have faced. It would have been a different narrative. It would have sure. been a different narrative. He he stopped Shaq from winning a title for two straight years yeah. mm-hmm. in the East. So it's like the difference. And plus, and again, the narrative of you, the Scottie Pippen thing, it's like Scottie Pippen was brought over by Reinsdorf, you know, in uh, the general manager, and, and now I, his name's escaping me, but they, it was a trade. Colangelo? No, 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 no. no, no, no. Yeah, um, but it was a trade that was. It is Reinsdorf. I was right. They they traded for this guy. You know, I mean, they brought him over in in a trade while he was a rookie. So it's not like they sought out to go get you know Patrick Ewing, right? You know what I mean? Like it's not like they went out and got Latrell Sprewell when he was available. No, they went out. The only player that they got who was in the prime of his career was again Rodman. Yeah, but it was a shell of what Rodman was. Now they brought him back to reality. Oh, yeah, they, oh, yeah. they brought him back. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and they yeah, put yeah. you know you Pippen and Jordan took them under his wing and let him be Ewing because the documentaries showed that. Yeah. But when it was time to go, they were very much in his mind, and that's what Rodman needed. Now on the flip side of that, though. LeBron made Polinka go get Anthony Davis. Yeah, right. Because it's a different era. It, it is a different era, but at the same time, though, right now the, the quote unquote super team, you know, Golden State is really the only super team, right? Because yeah, now the Nets, Kyrie and KD are hurt, so you know the, there's not a super team there, and Milwaukee isn't a super team. No, they just got a super player, right? But yeah. coming out of this era, which this is where LeBron has won his championships, that's, right? That's the whole point. Because like you touched upon, you need a super team to win. He forced management to go get him one. So, I mean, like I say, so now the narrative is you couldn't have done this with the team that you were on. You had to force the moves, and that's why he's complaining about this. And but and that's where my problem stems from I with these with people yeah. who say it's LeBron over Jordan because, because that's they, no. ridiculous. Because no. they all they do is they sit behind social media and they buy into the hype that everybody tries feeding in. Because if anybody really understands the sport of basketball, you can look at the different eras and see the level of competition is different. It is. It's facts. Right. You have to really understand that point of view before you try making the comparisons. Everybody does it now because LeBron has been the most consistent player to get to the finals mm-hmm. in this era of basketball. In so, any era yeah. of basketball. Right. So, but especially now, though, with the super team era. See, this is sure. what I define it as. Sure. So, yeah. So, all everybody that is now watching the NBA, for a lot of them, this is all they know. So they don't understand that why everybody is fighting back and saying Jordan is better because he is. Because if you see how he handles himself in wins and losses, well, I'm sorry, every time he got to the finals, did he ever lose? Nope. So LeBron had six on his record. Facts. Facts. Yeah. So how he's handled that is debatable. But how he's won, there's one moment that came out and he was smelling like roses, and there's two other ones with the franchises he was with that was all about me, me, me. Right. Huge difference in character. And let me flip it back to another point you were bringing up because I know we've been really going on a tangent about this. The criticism of Jimmy Butler is completely unwarranted. It's uh-huh. just ridiculous. And the, com- the conversation about Jimmy Butler should be because what, if, what, what kind of teams have been in the NBA Finals for what feels like the last 15 years? I mean, teams S- with multiple All-Stars. Super, Super teams. teams. Yeah. What did Jimmy Butler and the Heat do that shows teams that you don't necessarily need a super team. Exactly. You got it. You got a good player, a great player in Jimmy Butler with some great pieces around him, a la Michael Jordan, and it shows that hey, 
Maybe you don't need to blow your salary cap so that you're signing the other remaining players on your team to veteran minimums like they did for a lot of those years in Miami with the Heat. Mm-hmm. To you know, with LeBron and Wade and Bosch, because I remember I remember watching ESPN those days and like, oh yeah, they're looking at signing Chris Anderson for below the for the veterans minimum because that's all the room they got for in their salary cap. Yeah, they sh- they showed with with having Tyler Hero and Goran Dragic and and Jimmy Butler on that team that hey, you get you can have a good player. Two other, you know, cogs in, in the piece and make a finals run if you get hot and at the right time. Yeah, they were smart about it, and the narrative should be Jimmy Butler put this team on his back and got him to the finals. He's the hardest Facts. working man on the court. And if anybody says, oh, his legacy is tainted, I'm sorry, LeBron lost six. That's just, uh, to me, that's just, it's, again, just a LeBron sycophant who yeah. just wants the narrative to be this negative, drag him in the mud just to to just to, to take the air away from somebody else. The, the story should be Jimmy Butler and the unsung heroes of that Miami team. The only reason LeBron got dragged for losing the, his first NBA Finals was because he was being held to a different expectation, and he had a much higher expectations held of him than Jimmy Butler did. Let's not forget, you had Sports Center and ESPN going to Akron, Ohio, and broadcasting his games. Mm-hmm. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated before he graduated high school. I mean, Jimmy Butler, not the same case. So in the King James and Michael Jordan's heir apparent. So you're going in there going, yeah, this guy should should win five, six, seven straight NBA finals like Jordan did. Jimmy Butler, no. The fact that he made it there, kudos to you, sir. I mean, the the, the that first final, though, against San Antonio, I don't hold LeBron to being like, oh, you lost the finals because that San Antonio team with a Tim Duncan in his prime, Bruce Bowen, sure. absolutely hounding him defensively. Like, what else could he have done? There wasn't anything. Right. So that loss, I don't, I don't, you know, is tough. But I don't give him flack for it. The ones that I give him a hard time for are the Miami losses. Oh, the Miami mm-hmm. ones are, yeah, the Miami mm-hmm. ones are the ones he should be I mean, man. you talk about the fact that you went against the Dallas team with, you know, a Dirk Nowinski who you guys mocked, mm-hmm. you know, and said that couldn't win a finals. Weren't that, wasn't Dallas a really low-seeded team that year, too? Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, you mock and you made fun of, and, you know, you had this young, uh, not young because they were veterans, but a scrappy, you know, my uh, da- Dallas team that took it to you yeah. defensively. And then you ate. Crow because you looked silly after you made fun of Dirk, mm-hmm. and that's that's the problem for me when you start talking about finals lost. Is that one? Yeah, that's the one that everybody should be talking about. And if anybody wants to criticize Miami and Jimmy Butler about it, you have no place to because this team wasn't even supposed to be there. In fact, this team reminded me of that Dallas team that punched that's Miami in the mouth. Accurate. I, I looked it up. Dallas was the three seed that year, All but right. still, they were but not still. expected to get anywhere. No, close they weren't. There. No. But this team for Miami, though, reminds me a lot of that team. They came out there, and let's remember, game five of this finals and Jimmy Butler playing for 47 minutes mm-hmm. and absolutely bawling out of his mind. In, in an era where guys don't do that anymore. Exactly. Was saying, especially coming out of that game where he played all 47 minutes of the game and he could barely walk out of the press conference, reminding me very much of when Syracuse played UConn in that six-overtime game and Johnny Flynn played every goddamn minute of that game and then came back the next day, like less than 24 hours later, and played another game against Louisville. Yeah. I don't care how great you are. You are not going to be at the same level you are playing yeah. that many amount of minutes Miami just ran out of gas yeah I mean that's all that yeah. happened I mean you can't, which is what we said yeah, yeah exactly we I mean we were spot we're, on they're gonna with hang this. with them but they're yeah. gonna run out of gas and it just goes to show that this is should be the narrative the narrative of the finals in closing with this segment LeBron should be celebrating the fact the Lakers got number 17 
and now they're I believe they're tied with Boston for most yep. championships yes, in the they NBA. Are. Yes, they are. They should be celebrating, but instead he wants to flip it on himself, which is now going to give him a bad look, and then mm-hmm. we'll see what happens in the offseason if just, some teams start loading up again. I didn't want the Knicks to get Anthony Davis just because I don't know if that's the right piece because it feels very Ranger-esque when they were chasing names sure. wow. instead of trying to rebuild yeah. you know, using you know pieces and structure. Mm-hmm. But at this point, if it just smites the Lakers from winning again, I'm okay with it. Let's kind of see what happens there because LeBron is going to definitely have a bullseye on his back because his comments came off so badly in the PR scale. Just, I mean, well, I mean, not apparently to a lot of people, but to me it did. But I mean, I'm just one guy. Because I'm sorry, his fan base reminds me a lot of AEW. Uh huh. That is the easiest comparison you can make. And we'll talk pro wrestling a little later in the show. But there is his fans that blindly follow him, and whatever he does is right, and everybody else is wrong. Yeah, and to Coach's point, I looked it up. LeBron James is listed at six foot nine, two hundred and fifty pounds. Tyler Hero listed at six foot five, one hundred and ninety-five pounds. There's no goddamn way he filed. LeBron. Oh, exactly, there wasn't. And no, just to see the no. flop job, not at one hundred and ninety-five pounds soaking wet. But then again, we live in an era of basketball where there are penalties for flopping. Yeah. So let that sink in for a second. Yeah. So where the narrative- wasn't around in Jordan's era. Exactly. So, like I say, in closing, the Lakers should be celebrating the fact they got number seventeen. The fact that they are still hyping LeBron and the chip on the shoulder is not going to get them anywhere, and now there's going to be a bigger bullseye on their back that they have to worry about. And well, because teams are coming back. Because the one team that they have to worry about over their shoulder is Golden State. Uh-huh. And I will say this right now, if Golden State is 100% healthy, they're going to run the Lakers off the court. And, and what did we say going into the season with the NBA preview was that if the Lakers wanted one clear shot guarantee way to get to the finals, it'd be this year because yeah. Golden State's down and they don't have everybody. They're exactly. coming back next year. They're going to have everybody. Exactly. And plus they have a very high draft pick too. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, that they might move. Yes. I mean, listen, Danny Ainge found a way to move that number one pick and they've got Wiggins and plus that number one that could be very attractive to a team looking to, you know, get a high pick in this draft because outside of the top three, I yeah. really don't know what what's coming your way. I will say this: I tr- I completely trust the Golden State front office to make some moves. They have rarely missed on their offseason stuff. Facts. This is true. So the fact that they're going to have some time to think and some time to sit back and watch that. If you're going to tell me that Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green were watching those finals, and the minute LeBron said, "Put some respect on my name," and they did not call each other and say, "Are you ready for next season?" Because uh-huh. now the Group legacy, because now the story switches from LeBron, who should have been celebrating, to now can you go through the true Golden State Warriors? Uh-huh. That's the storyline for next season. And as for Miami, they should be celebrating this win as we got there with this team. You're playing we're, with house money. You're playing with house money. So the fact that you didn't get there is nothing to be sad about. No, no. And if anything. Not. Jimmy Butler just got on a lot more people's radars. Mm-hmm, and if you're going to tell me that he is not going to come back more motivated because idiot reporters are saying that this should tarnish his legacy. Yeah, you want to talk about a guy who will tackle and fuel. Yeah. That will be this will be Jimmy Butler's drive in the next season. Yeah, oh, and, yeah. and it's gonna be scary when Miami gets back there next year. It's gonna be absolutely dumb. No, I mean scary. I definitely I think that this was a building block. I mean, obviously Spol Spol oh my god. Spolstra. Spolstra showed that he is a very good head coach. Yeah. Because he took a team, you know, he, he inherited that Miami team of superstars, and everybody was like, Oh, you know, anybody could coach this team and win. Okay, fine, that can be that narrative. But then let's talk about this team. Yeah. That was not full of superstars that he took 
and led them to an NBA Finals by his ability and creativeness defensively, mm-hmm. not to mention offensively, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that all being said, Miami's got a bright future ahead of them. Jimmy Butler's going to come out like a man possessed next season. And for LeBron, enjoy your win now because Golden State will be waiting for you when we tip off next mm-hmm. season. That all being said, we gave you a lot to digest about the NBA Finals. I feel, so I feel better. I just good. Let me real quick, let me get that. I just I feel better because I was stewing today. Yeah. I, I knew you were. That's why we went a little extra long with this. I, I want, just I thanks give... thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, so definitely hit hit up coach at Coach Duffy Eleven to continue the conversation. I know we got a lot of basketball fans. Tell them how great talk. Charlie Weiss is. Wow, Pad, why, way to end on. Wow, yeah, really. Why do you have to go there? But why don't you join us on our social media accounts? You can find them at ochoduroparleyhour.com. Let's talk some NBA finals, shall we? Hit us up. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. I'm Midnight Agent Raw, and I'm Okami. We are the Super Media Bros Podcast, and each week we give a comedic take on all forms of entertainment, such as movies, music, video games, television, and much more. So put your shades on and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Shades on. We're on. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Time to come back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast and round those bases and take the show home. Pad, lead us off. Yeah, going to give an update on the uh, Major League P- uh, Baseball postseason. Uh, unfortunately, our New York Yankees were eliminated by the Tampa Bay Rays. Egregiously. Uh, egregiously. I uh, got real close, but they'll get there next year. I think they just got to pick up some uh, pitching, starting pitching specifically, look at some bench players, and then I think they might be on the right track. Uh, but uh, for the rest of the playoffs, you have in the American League Championship Series, the Tampa Bay Rays taking on the Houston Asterisks, uh, where currently Tampa Bay has a two games to nothing lead. Uh, go go Rays in that case. Uh, and then over on the flip side in the National League Championship Series, you have the L.A. Dodgers taking on the Atlanta Braves, where Atlanta currently has a one game to nothing lead. Uh, they are currently playing. And I know uh, the Dodgers decided to give Ronald Acuna some 95 mile an hour sweet chin music. Uh, Ooh, that was a little scary. Yeah, getting a little dicey, so it should be real interesting. Uh, go anybody but Houston. Exactly. Uh, give me whoever comes out of the NL to win the whole thing. Yes. That's my vote. Yes. Coach, that being said, you are up. Well, uh, the WWE had their roster shakeup with mm-hmm. their draft. Yes. Uh, just some notable names who were uh, on the move, really. I mean, you don't really need to talk about who stayed because it was pretty much the staples. But uh, Seth Rollins, for the first time in his illustrious career, will be uh, donning the blue, mm-hmm. going to SmackDown. Yeah. Um, obviously, as we predicted, AJ Styles did move from Raw, our SmackDown to Raw. Yep. Um, as we definitely had a feeling that was going to happen. That was probably the closest to a lock that we had. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, in a upsetting and, and sad you know thing to touch on, the New Day yeah. has yeah. officially been broken up as uh, the two members that won the tag belts, uh, Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston were moved to Raw, and Big E was kept on SmackDown, which 
Sad. Sad, but also, you know, maybe... I hate it when I'm partially right, too. Yeah, but also maybe silver lining that, you know, this might be the way that they break Big E off for his, um, you know, inevitable title push because... Sure. Guy clearly showed that he's a star. Oh, absolutely. Sure, and I, and I know I said last week, you know, bringing up, oh, ever since they brought back the brand split, and they've always said, oh, tag teams might be split up, and they've never done it. Maybe they'll do it this year. I hate being right in that instance because I wouldn't have wished it on New Day. No, but it's time. It's yeah. been longer yeah. overdue. Like, listen, I'm sorry. I know they're super popular, but Biggie is ready for that breakout moment. Kofi had his last year. Mm-hmm. They're all th- three super talented guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, and I feel like you said, the timing's right. You have a heel Roman Reigns. So there's yeah. room for a uh, top baby face to come in and, and, you know, maybe a WrestleMania moment. Yeah. You know? and, and that's what I fully think because we've been so long overdue. And plus, they don't have to say they broke up in storylines. So you True. don't. You sure. Don't, you don't have the typical way to do it. I actually did not mind how WWE did this because no. who's the bad guy? Stephanie McMahon or whoever is doing the drafts. Yeah. I mean, the, right. The Fox executive. Yeah. It's just, a, you know, the. Uh, time you know i mean that's not going to be the same anymore but you know nonetheless uh uh, bray wyatt the fiend yo is moved to raw can i I quickly interject for last night's raw that was the only bright spot was the whole alexa bliss doing the corner spider that was crazy like bray does yeah right and then the team up where they attacked uh zelina and andrade in the in the in sync twi- uh sister abigail's. abigail's holy shit that was the best segment of all the monday night raw last night yeah so that will you know that will be and i think the fiend will be much better off on the yeah. raw brand where oh, it's tremendously three hours promo heavy so he'll be able to really get the fun house going mm-hmm. uh matt riddle and jeff hardy were moved to raw which i was really surprised to see yeah. riddle yeah you know a wrestling first style guy moved yeah. from smackdown which is predominantly a wrestling first show over to raw um and kevin owens moved to smackdown paired back up with Sami Zayn. So, you know, on the same brand. Yeah, so maybe we'll see something along the way there, uh, whether it's them facing each other or maybe even some tag team scenario. Give me the Kevin and Sammy show. Best of seven series. Uh, No. no. Like, listen, I love seeing them wrestle each other. I do, but I I, I don't want to see it right now. Yeah, I mean, I obviously with the shakeup, you know, you've got you know Seth Rollins coming in who might you know make a splash in the Intercontinental scene. I don't, you know, obviously I, I don't. Who knows what they'll do with Roman in the World Title right now? I mean, yeah. Well, the only thing that you got to remember too is Seth will be leaving soon because Becky Lynch is due in December, True. I believe. Oh, True. yeah, so that's right around the corner. So this is a perfect way to write him off. The only thing I would say to kind of give the grades for the draft. I gave both a C. Like, there wasn't any moments in this that was, like, the big shakeup feel to it. Sure. Like, Bray going to Raw was a big deal. Seth going to SmackDown yep. was. Yep, If you buy it up, all the nonsense on the internet, Matt Riddle getting moved away from Seth Rollins, that actually makes some sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, has some legs to, yeah. that has yeah. some legs to it. I mean, yep. our, our closest lock yep. was AJ getting moved, and yep. that did happen. Yep. So, I mean, to me, I, I think the shakeup is definitely good because I think they put guys in positions where they can be more successful yeah. um, because of, the, you know, the way that the rosters are, you know, were structured prior to the draft. 
you know, you saw a lot of bottlenecking on SmackDown. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the same on Raw. You know, a lot of guys were kind of tied in roles right now with, you know, Drew having to face, you know, Randy Orton 700 different times, which now I think AJ Styles coming over will give him another hand to work with, uh-huh. you know, leading up to his inevitable rematch with Brock. Um, and I think Seth going over to SmackDown, albeit like you mentioned, you know, probably going to be leaving sometime in December. Um, you know, that would lead maybe to a babyface return I think come so. SummerSlam, you know. Yeah. And and if not, then, you know, maybe the Friday Night Messiah will, you know, return in, in all of his, you know, glory, you know, whatever. But I, I, I like the moves. Everything, I think, made sense. The riddle. If there's legs to that if rumor, there is, if there's legs, allegedly. that's upsetting because I really would have liked to have seen that, you know, Seth and Riddle paired together, you yeah. know, in some sort of program sure, down the road. Sure. Not to mention, I think Riddle makes more sense on SmackDown than he does on Raw, but, you know, that's whatever. Um, Yeah, I, I honestly, I think it was a good, I think the draft was good, and I think it's going to really give some legitimacy to some guys who were looking to make the next steps. I'll say the move I liked was uh, Miz and Morrison moving to Raw, especially because I did not, I have not had the chance to experience them on an open mic uh, for the uh, Miz TV yet, because I'm, I'm usually busy with my girlfriend on Friday nights. We don't watch SmackDown. So, since John Morrison's return, I have not gotten to experience those two on Miz TV yet, like uh, until the, uh, Monday last night when they were on there. Holy shit, they're tired. Oh, they're that was yeah, they're great. That was incredible. I was in stitches. The only thing I didn't like was Seth and his son, or Ray and his son coming, Dominic coming over. Yeah, with Seth, it's like because come on. The problem is WWE's in love with that feud, right? Yeah, and And then and Blake following too. It's like you literally just picked up. And, and moved. moved. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, yep. placeholder, you know? Because they're in love with that thing. And that's why I say, like, I, I hate that feud. I'm very vocal on Twitter. So if you ever hit me up on Monday nights or whenever that's going on, I don't exactly have nice things to say about and it. And you shouldn't. No, because <laughs> it's hot garbage. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't care about it. They're rehashing old stuff. And I'm sorry, they all deserve better. Like, I thought it would have been smarter if Dominic had gone down to NXT. Right, sure. I figured down there sure. he would have been able to flourish more. Sure. Or if you're going to do something, keep Murphy on Raw. And send Seth over there, and why don't you pair him up with Chad Gable, who's just mm. wasting away? Well, allegedly going to NXT. Well, that's that's the alleged one, but I thought he got drafted by SmackDown. I saw it was like one of those after shows. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't see. No, I don't. No, think so. I didn't see it. I just looked on the list. I didn't see his name. Okay, so I mean, waiting to see. I was actually that was another brings up another quick point though. I was surprised we didn't see an NXT call up to the main mm. roster. Yeah, I mean, I given what's going on with NXT right now with, you know, injuries that are kind of plaguing there, I think it's kind of tough to make a move because it's True. like, all right, you pull up Adam Cole. Okay, no, yeah, uh, Shorty G has been drafted to SmackDown. Oh, shit. All right. Well, all right. So anyway, though, you, you know, you draft Adam Cole. Baby. Baby. You know, what do you do, what do, you do if Finn is out? You know, he, and, he that, ju- and he just had surgery the other day, too. Right. Yeah, so if he's out for a duration of time and now the world title's got to be put up again or, or storyline, whatever they do, it's like, all right, you know, that you're left with Ciampa and Gargano and you're not running that program back. Yeah. Um, or if you would have moved Gargano on, again, it doesn't make, he just doesn't fit on the main roster because he's just. He's too small. It's too small. Yeah. You know I, I mean? I agree. I just thought they should have done something to switch it up. Like I know. I agree. Again. Yeah. Adam Cole should be on the fucking main roster. Yeah, I, think I mean it's it's ridiculous, I, baby. Yes, thank you. I, it's ridiculous the fact that this dude. I mean, outside of the fact that he's not built like Drew McIntyre, ha- but he has the same frame. Yeah, the dude is Shawn Michaels 2.0. Right, and that's why I fully think he's going to be there day after Mania. 
I, I I think that it's, makes that would be if you make a move that would be the yeah. night to make the move because when you're talking about injuries too I think that's why he's staying down there right now because he's gonna have a final send off feud probably right. against Roderick Strong. Yeah. So for what it's worth in regards to the Balor situation, uh, he did post an update on his Instagram saying, quote, last Friday, I underwent surgery for two fractures of my jaw, including one going into my tooth. Af- <laughs> after the tooth was removed, I was wired shut. I was wired shut to restore my bite and help align the fractures. Then three plates were screwed in to fixate the fractures for a quick recovery. Thankfully, no wires were needed after surgery. Uh, oh my so, God. Uh, article I'm reading from says there's no, there's still no word on how long Balor will be out of action, but the usual recovery time for a broken jaw is around six weeks. Oh fuck! Yeah, so well, he, kudos to him. So he's not gonna be out long. He's not gonna be out long. Killer Cross is already doing rehab videos. Dude, I Jesus Christ! I would have yeah. thought broken jaw like nine months. Yeah, because no, I mean no. it's shot. You're. It's shut. I think you know. In, I think in normal instances it might be a long period of time, but the fact that he's saying that he didn't need any wires, yeah, once right, done, it's, it's, it's not as bad. Because I mean, you look at what happened with Kanye, like all the way back in like nine, you know, college dropout days. Like he talked about, his mouth was wired shut for almost a year. He said, yeah, right. so yeah, so Finn definitely lucked out with this. So like I said, yeah. he'll be back sooner than later. Yeah. And, and that's why I said, like I think NXT is just going to ride through the wave right now. Sure. Yeah, they have to. They just got to kind of just stay the course, you yep. know, patience. Ele- elevate the North American title and call yeah, it a yeah. day. Yeah, they're getting enough influx between Tony Storm, uh, Ember Moon, Moon coming back, and then the, the one guy returning from injury, Dexter Loomis, I think. Yeah. Is name, getting Dexter Loomis back. And I know they're trying to work Walter back over, too. Yep. So, I mean, yep. yeah, time will tell. Yeah, yeah. They, um, there's, there's enough there. A lot, yeah, of, a lot of bright spots to look forward you to. You know, and then AEW's one year anniversary. Yes. Good, great for you guys. Yeah, no, you're still but in you know, AEW is having their one year anniversary show tomorrow night. Uh, you know, Cody Rhodes after he lost uh, the uh, TV title, um, you know, just got it back two weeks later. Sure, you know, because that's sure, you know, that's legit. That's legitimate. You know, yeah, why he shot a TV show? So yeah. makes a ton of sense why you would have a guy. Lose the TV title just to gain it back two weeks later. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, like I, as it's known on this show, I'm no fan of AEW. I did read on uh, Reddit this morning though that uh, for their one year anniversary show, they are putting up all of the belts uh, for grabs on the on the show, which I cool move. I like it. Yeah, yeah. they've loaded up the card because your main event is John Moxley versus Lance Archer, which was supposed to happen, but I believe Archer had COVID, COVID for yep. a bit, right. so now he's been cleared right. to come back. So obviously, that's been a big fight that yeah. they've been scheduling for a yeah, while. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it's nice for them to do that on free TV because uh, WWE does that every year for pay-per-view. Right. And, well, it's also weird because that's like kind of the same thing that WCW used to do. And sure, I mean, They're not sure. the same. They're not the same. It's not WCW 2.0, <laughs> AEW. It's not the same, guys. But, you know, they just put all the titles on live on free TV. Yeah, and, it's, it's good exposure for them. You know, and have a guy lose a title to go film a TV show only to come back two weeks later and win it back. But not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally different. If, if anything for AEW, it's a good expose for them. The people flipping channels who might flip back, oh, what's this? And go, oh, shit, this looks well, kind of cool. I mean, especially with NXT being as injured yeah. as they are right now, uh-huh. it's like it's a strike while your iron's hot. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, listen, it's going to be a great card. I mean, Orange Cassidy versus Cody Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Or Cody. Sold. You know, yeah, I mean, uh, anything Orange Cassidy does is, you know, Money. gold. So that sounds great. Excited for that. Um FTR versus best friends. Yeah, FTR versus best friends, which obviously is just going to inevitably lead to the the Young Buck feud, which is fine. You know, whatever. If you want to put the the good friends in there for uh, fill in, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. 
The women's division does nothing for she me. Did, so she didn't big swole. There you go. All right. And then um, uh, I, I heard that there's a rumor of another title. Well, what they've, they've talked about two other moments they're going to have on the show. They've been doing this whole tribute to Jericho. I mean, last week was the whole 30 years of Chris Jericho, which it was a very telling sign that something is in the air that we touched upon on 607 TWS. They had Tanahashi on TV. Sure. From New Japan Pro Wrestling. Oh, my. As wishing a uh, congratulations to Chris Jericho for 30 years. New Japan logo in the background. The next preview was for the Archer-Moxley match, and they referenced... New Japan, where they wrestled earlier in the year. Hmm. Well, and there was also one more before I let you jump in, Pat. Sure. There was one more tweet that Orange Cassidy of all people put out and said, "How soon to the BOSJ Best of Super J tournament?" <laughs> Which is oh just funny. God. That would be. Oh my god! Oh my god! If he actually now, I know I'm going off here, but if he actually did that. Pad, as an Orange Cassidy guy. That'd be good. That would be fucking great. That'd be awesome. He would like lose every match up until the point where he would like win he would have to win just to move on. Yeah. Yeah. And then win those matches out of like just the luck of his pants to all of a sudden fuck around to end up in the finals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then lose on some bullshit reason. That sure. would be glorious. Sure. I'm sorry, New Japan, you can borrow that booking. To your point though, with the Tanahashi thing, I read about that, but at the same time I read that that wasn't done because of any relationship between AEW and New Japan, but simply out of just Tanahashi has that much goddamn respect for Jericho. Oh, I, I could fully imagine, but I know there's been some change in management over at New Japan. I yeah. and I know that there's a lot of smoke coming out of there's a possible working relationship trying to develop now. So what I'm saying is with this, I know they're promising something big with MJF, and obviously he's been teasing this feud with Chris Jericho. We do know that Jericho is allowed to go to New Japan and wrestle. We know Moxley is allowed to go. It's rumored Miro is allowed to go as well, too. So I'm not saying we're going to see something, but I wouldn't doubt they do something big on this AEW Invasion. That you might see maybe an Okada appearance, yeah. which would be absolutely internet-breaking. That'd, That'd be huge. So you might see something like that happen, because where I'm going with this is Miro and Saban are announced to be fighting mystery opponents on the show. If Okada shows if Okada shows up on AEW, you might get me to turn the channel. Right. That which, might be enough. Which I'm not saying they're going to, but I just, I just want to throw that kind of feeler out that they are teasing something. Now, is it possible that it is... Local talent, more than likely. Well, probably, because... That's just how AEW does. Uh-huh. But if they decide to go for something really big rating-wise and they want to get something working, this is the time to strike on it. So I'm going to just kind of throw that energy out to the world. We'll have to see what happens Wednesday. And obviously one year in, it's been an up-and-down ride with AEW. They're still in business. They're still in business, which is always great to see that they are still in business. They still have a lot of work to do, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. The, the in-ring stuff is not bad, but it's super indie. Storyline-wise, is a train wreck. Their women's division is a joke. And it's unfortunately, too. They have made some strides to improve. Obviously, signing Evil Lease and Thunder Rosa has been a, a great addition to their camp. But they still need a lot of work, and until they really kind of make some strides in there, we just are going to have to deal with it and see what they do. So if you want to watch something on Wednesday night, you can hit me up on Twitter at ODParlayHour. I'm going to be live watching, and I'll have some live reaction to it. I know Rich from 3FN is going to be doing it, and we'll have obviously more to talk about on Twitch.tv slash 607podcast, 8 p.m. Thursday night about this as well. So let me take this base and, and round home because we got to talk some UFC. Sure. Now, Pad, this past weekend we had a fight card. Mm-hmm. 
But the main event, which was a great main event, was yeah. Corey Sandhagen defeating Marlon Morales mm-hmm. uh, with a knockout. That's not what everybody's talking about. Nope. What are we all talking about? Uh, we're talking about a potential knockout of the decade. You know, we're, we're barely into the new decade here. We might already have the knockout of the decade uh, pinned. Uh, that being in the preliminary card that took place on ESPN Plus uh, in the middleweight division between Joaquin Buckley and uh, Impa. And I'm going to butcher this, so I'm going to apologize now. Uh, Impa Kasagane. Yep. Uh, which was, uh, it lists knockout by a spinning back kick, but it was that, and oh my God, so much more. Yeah, this was the knockout of the year. You can go on any social media platform and find it. This was the most impressive knockout I think I might have ever seen in MMA. You can't do this in a video game. No, this was straight I, up. I've tried. This is straight up a cheat code move, and it looks phenomenal. Obviously, we just have a star with Buckley being born. Yeah. So that all being said, it was a great fight night, but we are going into this week where we will be live reacting on Twitch.tv slash 6 podcast. Mm-hmm. It is fight night. It is one of the most anticipated fights of the year. I have been waiting for this fight to go down. Yes. The Korean zombie. Enough said. Chan Sung Jung. Stop. Is taking on Brian Ortega. You've in, already sold me. In a winner gets Alexander Volkanovsky for the featherweight title. A uh, winner gets a trip to the hospital. Yeah. This, so does the loser. This is a legit bad blood feud. Uh, this is no sensationalism involved. Someone's going to die. They've had sk- skirmishes between their camps at events. Like, this is the real deal. This fight has been long anticipated for a while. This is going down. Rumor has it somebody asked Brian Ortega if he wanted to send a fruit basket to Chen Sung Jung, and he said, fuck you. Yeah, this is rumor legit. has it. Rumor has it. Let's go. This is going to be some fireworks. Pad, do you have a prediction for this? Uh, the fans are going to win. Like, this is, this is you know, it's not for a belt. It's not for even for a fictional belt like the BMF title, but... God damn it, there's a big fight field to this. It feels like there's like nine belts on the on the line for this. If you have not seen a Korean zombie fight, good God, this is the fight to see because him going up against Brian Ortega is going to be spectacular. This is going to be absolutely epic. Coach, do you want me to give my pick before I get yours? Pain. Pain? <laughs> I believe it. Let me break it down to you like this. Pad, can you call up Brian Ortega's last fight while absolutely. I'm talking? Absolutely. So Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie, is a fan favorite. He is a go-forward, do-not-look-back. He stays in the pocket way too long and has put on classic rock'em, sock'em fights. Go through Leonard Garcia, go through uh, even when he fought Jose Aldo and he popped his shoulder out, and I believe he was winning that fight too. Mm -hmm. Uh, You want to go down the lineage. Any fight he has been in has just been straight-up fireworks. Take nothing away from Brian Ortega because he has been an up-and-coming superstar in his own right. Yep, He is always known to win in the third round via submission. T-City is no joke. His last fight, though, Pat? Uh, was a loss to one Max Holloway via TKO, and it was a doctor stoppage. Because that was a fight that he literally got his ass whooped. Mm-hmm. And I say this with no shame. I'm not making fun of him. He took a ton of damage from Holloway in that fight. He has definitely been on the sidelines for a while because if you want to go through the lineage of social media and go find that fight, I highly recommend it. But if you have a weak stomach, you are not going to like this because Holloway put on a clinic against him. But that being said, since that point, these two fighters have had a real bad blood feud. This is not anything made up to sell the fight. They have had instances outside the UFC where they have been ready to go at each other. The fight is now finally here. So with all this being said, I will give you my prediction, and I am predicting the Korean zombie, and okay. I will tell you why. Brian Ortega's chance of get, of getting this is he needs to lock this up by the third round. 
And he usually puts on a stellar performance. He kind of waits out the first round, kind of doesn't feel, and he's still going to be active. But I think that Chan Sung Jung's pacing at this and driving forward is definitely going to give him some problems at first. I think that if he can get to the third round, and depending on how Zombie is looking then, he's got a shot. But the takedown defense that Zombie has, I think, is going to really give him some fits. Uh And I think that that's going to be one of the bigger telling points that he's going to have a lot of problems with. Because the Korean Zombie can submit people. I know he stands in the pocket and he does a lot of striking. This one, though, I think he's going to be definitely willing to sit there. He's going to be obviously more patient. Yep. And another thing on the stat meter that is seen is in significant strikes, absorbed per minute, okay? Brian Ortega, 7.3. Okay. Korean Zombie, 3.7. Ooh. So that's a little bit difference that Zombie doesn't take that much damage and he keeps no. coming forward. No. He's a very good defensive and grappling fighter, and that's why I say Ortega, I think, is going to have his work cut out for him. Plus, you never know how his mentality is going to be after coming back from a fight that he had with Holloway. I was like, Korean Zombie, of his uh, 16, he's got 21 matches under his belt, 16 and 5 record. Of his 16 wins, 8 are by submission. Of his 5 losses, 0 are by submission. Exactly. He doesn't tap. He's a madman. So that's being said, I, I do like Zombie. I like him winning via stoppage in the fourth. Okay. I'm, I'm going to give you that. I think he's going to weather the storm of Ortega. And once Ortega gets to the fourth round, I think he's going to have problems. Is I'm saying this could, fight could go either way. So I'm not saying this is going to be a walk in the park by any means. This Double is knockout. Be, this is going to be fun. This might be like a stoppage two for Ortega if he can jump on him early. Mm. But the one thing that the zombie does is he stays in that pocket, and he takes a lot of damage. And if it wasn't for a fluke elbow by Yair Rodriguez, he'd probably be in a title fight right now. So I'm just giving you the early prediction. Zombie takes this, but definitely join us on Saturday night, twitch.tv slash 6 podcast. We'll definitely be recapping and live reacting to this fight as well. But before we close out the show, we got to give you our locks and leaps for this coming week. So, Pad, why don't you lead us off? Uh, starting off with my lock, I'm going to be looking at the Baltimore Ravens and Philadelphia Eagles game. Uh, currently, Baltimore is a 7.5-point favorite, and the Eagles currently sitting at 1-3-1. One, and one. I think they should be able to take that uh, win decisively. And looking at my leap, I'm going to be looking at the Chicago Bears and uh, Carolina Panthers game. Currently, Carolina is a 2.5-point favorite, but I think Chicago, they're on a bit of a roll. Uh, maybe they finally found you know, the the run they need to get on with Nick Foles in at quarterback. I think uh, Chicago should be able to pull this one out. Interesting picks, Pad. So let's pass it over to Coach Duffy. Ugly week, guys. Yeah, yeah. not not slim pickings here. A lot of the lines not out as we uh, uh, do this. So I'm going to go with my lock, the Dolphins. Oh, yeah. eight point favorites over the nasty Jets. Yeah, uh, I read a story today of. Uh, NFL writer that was ranking all 32 teams and they had contributions by local uh, broadcasters. Sure. They, uh, the broadcaster wrote for weakness for the Jets. Everything. Football. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, if you ain't good at playing football, there's no way you're going to be able to beat Miami. Uh, and for my leap, or f- yeah, for my leap, I don't want to have to do it, but I'm going to do it. Uh-oh. I'm going to go with the Browns against the Steelers. Oh, that's a leap. Three and a, three and a half point dogs. I mean, if you're for real, Cleveland, which I think that you are, and last year you did, you know, or the year before you tied them in Pittsburgh. True. Why not? True. Coach, I'm riding with you. That's my leap. I love it. I'm going with you. Pittsburgh, 
Listen, I will give you a little uh, betting advice, not saying if you decide to do anything and you lose, to blame me on this. But I know more times than not, Pittsburgh will win a game, but they won't cover the spread. This one, I think, is low-hanging fruit, to be honest with you, because if the Browns are the real deal, I think they're going to get up for this. I really think that we're going to see what they're made out of, and the point spread is low enough that I think this is a very safe leap because, like Coach has touched upon and Pat is too, the spreads are just coming out, and they're very, very not favorable by any stretch of imagination. No, a couple aren't even out yet. Right, because they're waiting for the Bills to get done True. with their game in Tennessee as well. So at least they're being fair about that for Vegas. That being said, my lock, though, I have no faith in the old man, so I'd rather go with the State Farm guy himself. I am taking the Packers, going to Tampa Bay, minus 2.5, and, and going to put a whooping on Tom Brady. Believe it. So oh, yeah. lock that in. Definitely join in the conversation on social media because I definitely want to hear everybody's locks and leaps. I got the whole brackets going on, and I don't want to give it out because we got to wait to see what happens with the Bills and Titans as we're recording. True. So all that being said, you're going to just have to keep it locked to Ocho Doro Parley Hour social media and find out what's happening with locks and leaps. That being said, the music you heard on this episode is that of Brian Wolf and Fair City Fire, but we're going to close with a gentleman who's going to be on the show this week. So as we're recording Thursday night, you're going to hear the one and only Tom Jolu in studio. It's been a long-awaited interview that we can't wait to do with him. So if you're not familiar with his music, you can check him. Floodland, Second Suitor, Shout of the Robots, and all the great music you hear on the ODPH at One Stop Shop. And that is OchoDuroParleyHour.com under the music section. Also at the ODPH website, you can check out the directory. We can find out friends of the show. You can find organizational links supporting Black Lives Matter and voter registration. All the amazing pod groups we are in. And, of course, our friends over at 8122 Productions which they are definitely going hard with their Patreon right now. So patreon.com slash 8122productions. All of that and so much more is at ochoduroparleyhour.com. That's all I got for this week. So for your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. Good night and good luck. For the one and only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time.